1: up right down the
2: middle of the field, it's touchdown. Devontae Smith cannot be
0: stopped. A truly special performance by the Heisman Trophy winner. Three touchdowns in the first half.
1: What a performance last night uh, by Alabama, and especially from Devontae Smith, who set multiple records and was the most valuable player on offense last night in Alabama's 52 to 24 national championship win over Ohio State. Tommy's with me to start. Cooley will join us uh, for the offensive film breakdown. Um, We're not going to spend a lot of time in the game last night. I'm going to start with this, Tom. The number uh, was nine at game time. Alabama was a nine-point favorite. I stayed off the game. I know I told everybody that I sort of liked Ohio State. I did not give out a side for the smell test um, I backed off of it um, most of you know that if I if I had played it and lost it I would have told you that I played it and lost it um, it was pretty amazing that the total of 76, 75, 76 hit right on the total at 76. Um, 52-24 was the final it was 52-24 with like 13 minutes to go in the fourth quarter if your number was 76 and you needed the over I mean I can't imagine feeling better about it um, at 35-17 at halftime at 52-24 early in the fourth quarter um, but uh, anyway, Devontae Smith was amazing. 12 catches, which is a college football um, title game record. 215 receiving yards, second most in a uh, college football playoff or BCS game. And his three touchdowns tied the record. And he did it all in the first half of the game.
3: It was a stunning performance. And maybe not for draft personnel, But at least for the minimum, for fans of teams, it kind of puts you in a strange spot because you're sitting there saying, look at this guy. I don't care who the quarterback is. I want this guy.
1: Yeah, I mean, he is really special. You know, I've I've heard some of the conversation, and I didn't have this conversation on – <clears throat> on the radio show this morning. And it's it's a, it's a long conversation because I'd have to think about it, to be honest with you, uh, about whether or not we just witnessed the greatest receiver in the history of college football. I can tell you this for a few years now, I've been a massive Devontae Smith fan. Like, I, you think of all the, you know, the Alabama receivers of the last few years, you know, Amari Cooper and Jerry Judy and Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley and Henry Ruggs. And you know, Devontae Smith to me, and I said this even going into this year, may not be the most electrifying, like he's may not be the fastest, he may not be the biggest, but he's more than fast enough and he's by far and away the best route runner. Of all of them, now somebody pushed back me. A coach that I know really well said, "Actually, Amari Cooper is the best route runner of all those Bama receivers." I don't know if that's true or not. I know Devontae Smith is really, really good. I don't know where he ranks on the greatest uh, on the list of the greatest college receivers of all time. Obviously, guys like Randy Moss comes to mind when I think about great college um, receivers. Um, you know, Larry Fitzgerald was a phenomenal wide receiver. At, you know, in college, I'd have to really give it thought. He obviously had one of the great performances um, in the three biggest games of his career. And remember, he was the guy that caught the touchdown pass from Tuatunga-Vailoa to beat Georgia in overtime of the uh, of the national championship game as a as a sophomore. As a sophomore, or freshman, I can't even remember now. But his performance here during these these playoff games was ridiculous. He just went for 12 catches, 215 yards, three touchdowns in a half. The reason he didn't play the second half is he injured his arm or wrist or something, not, not severely. Notre Dame, seven catches, 130 yards, three touchdowns in the national semifinal. And in the SEC title game, 15 catches for 184 yards and two yeah. touchdowns. I mean...
3: This is what I mean. I mean, if you're sitting there with the with the second or third pick in the draft, do you pick this guy?
1: You have to consider it. I mean, receivers yes. that high in the draft haven't always worked out. Usually they haven't. But I'll tell you one thing about this guy. This guy is an over-deliverer and under-promiser. To use my favorite, uh, you know, hope and preferred uh, path uh, to stardom. I like the guys that under that underpromise and overdeliver, and he is a quiet performer. Um, you know, this is there's he just seems to have his act together. Yeah, you'd have to consider it. You'd have to consider it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's a game changing player right there.
1: The other thing about the game last night, Ohio State was not healthy going into this game. I don't know that it would have mattered. They were missing some defensive players. Trey, uh, Their running back, Sermon, who had gone for 331 um, in the game against Northwestern in the Big Ten title game, Trey Sermon, number eight, and then went for 193 against Clemson in the semifinal. Um, He got hurt on the first play of the game. I think a big part of Ohio State's strategy was to run Sermon and to dominate possession of the ball and to keep it away from Mac Jones and Devontae Smith and Najee Harris, who is phenomenal as well. And him going out definitely hurt. I don't know. I just, in watching that game, bam, is just impossible to stop. And when Ohio State settled for a field goal at 21-14, it was almost like settling for a field goal meant you were never going to catch them because now you were going to be two scores behind after the next drive and you were never going to be able to overcome it. Um, but anyway, uh, Bama.
3: Nick, Nick Saban, greatest college coach in history.
1: I mean, he's got seven national championships. Yeah, I know. So I mean, there's no.
3: I mean, there's the argument. Is if you want to go back to New Rockney, uh, but let's get a little bit more modern. Bud Wilkinson uh, in Oklahoma uh, won two straight national championships. I think his teams went, I think like fifty-six and zero or something like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, How um, many did Bear Bryant win? Didn't Bear he win Bryant? five or six?
3: I don't think so.
1: No. How many? No. What about Woody Hayes? I'd have to look this up. Uh, yeah. I mean,
3: it's I, hard to—it's hard to think anyone would be ahead of Nick Saban. Let's say that.
1: Okay, hold on. College football coaches with the most national championships: Saban now has seven. Bear Bryant had six. Tommy. Okay. All six with Alabama: sixty-one, sixty-four, sixty-five, seventy-three, seventy-eight, and seventy-nine. Um, Bernie Bierman, never heard of him, 1930s coach for Minnesota. Woody Hayes had five. I actually yeah. wouldn't have guessed that Hayes had five. I knew he had at least three or four. Um, he had five. And then Frank Leahy, Notre Dame, had four. John McKay had four at Southern Cal.
3: John McKay was a hell of a coach. Those he, Southern Cal teams, oh my from God. Mike Garrett to OJ to uh, – to Marcus Allen. Oh, yeah. To, uh,
1: Charles White.
3: Anthony Davis. Yeah. yeah. Those were great teams.
1: Um, Urban Myers got three. Tom Osborne had three at Nebraska. Boy, Nebraska, you know, in the, if really from, you know, going back, I mean, the 80s and 90s, especially that stretch in the 90s, they were just, they were the best. They were what Bama was for a five, six, seven-year period. In the in the in the '90s, Newt Rock, Rockney had three. Daryl Royal had three at Texas, um, including that famous game of the century when they played uh, Arkansas in a one-two Arkansas, game. Frank Royal and, and Nixon attended the game. Barry Switzer had three. Bud Wilkinson had three. So there is your list. I mean, Saban's got seven. He's got one more than Bear yeah. Bryant. So the answer would be and Saban. He
3: did it at- and he did it at two different schools.
1: Yeah, six of them with Bama, and then the one—you right. know—the split national championship when he was at LSU. With LSU. Yeah, when they split it with Southern Cal, even though there was a BCS title game. I—I um, uh, I think a more interesting question: You start putting Saban into the Belichick category as the greatest overall football coach of all time. You know, and if I mean, you've got Belichick one now, don't you, or not?
3: Yes. Yes, I do.
1: So if you've got – I mean, Saban and Belichick and, and Wooden. I mean, that's almost the list right there. Sabin's in that category. He has yeah, to be.
3: he to be. He has to be.
1: What do you think of college football overall? You know how much I love it. What do you think of college football? You know, that it's well,
3: Bama – I'm the wrong guy to ask. I mean, I think it's – I think, I think the, the BCS is boring. I think, I think the same... Yeah, the
1: college the playoff same, football, not the BCS. Yeah.
3: Well, okay, I think whatever it's called now. Well,
1: it's a good, we have a playoff. We've had one since 2014.
3: Right. I you think know. it's boring. I think it's the same, the same actors year after year. Uh, I want to see University of Central Florida in the mix. I want to see Cincinnati in the mix. I want to see Boise State when they were good in the mix. I want to see that, you know, so... I mean, I don't – look, part of the problem is I didn't go you – know, I had such a checkered college career. <laughs> I mean, college football was not really big any place I went, even Miami. I mean, they. you know, it, when I went to school in Miami, it wasn't that big. Uh, so, uh, like, and you went to Maryland. Uh, and, I mean, and, and it was a basketball football. school. I mean, I – But it was – you went to the bobby ross
1: yeah i was there when maryland was like a you know perennial top 20 team they were
3: i mean it was a i didn't go to colleges where college football was a big deal i think that changes a lot of perceptions of people if people grew up and their college experience including a passionate college football one i think that they carry that for the rest of their lives
1: I think that that's 100% true. I also think that there are areas of the country, whether you went to the great college football school or not, you grew up rooting for a college football team as your number one team. You know, the state of well, o- like Ohio, mo- most Ohio State football fans didn't go to Ohio State. You know, probably most Alabama fans didn't go to Alabama. You know, well, in- I
3: experienced that in, in East Strasburg. Everybody in Eastern Pennsylvania was a Penn State fan. Right. You know, they didn't exactly. go to Penn State. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that the, the sport – well, first of all, this is a weird year. And so to have any sort of definitive opinion about it after this year would be um, odd because I watched less college football this year than I've ever watched before. The NFL was the was really the catalyst for sports fans because there wasn't – a lost game. There wasn't a lost team. Um, It was amazing. You know, we are into the second weekend of the playoffs and pretty good bet. They're going to play every single game that was scheduled um, this year. Um, But I think the issue with college football, first of all, it's, you know, in terms of the dollars and in terms of like the television ratings, it's the number two sport in this country behind the NFL. With that said, it's not a popular sport. And it's nowhere near the most popular sport in a lot of big cities like ours, you know, like New York, Um, a lot of, you know, northeastern Boston, New York, Philly. Now, Philly is a big Penn State football market, no doubt. And I've learned that even more than I knew before, because my youngest is at Penn State and he's like, oh, my God, these the Philadelphia people here, you know, at Penn State, I mean, they are just massively into the team. Um, but then you get, you know, markets especially in the Midwest and in the South, where college football is close to number one. You yes. know, even in LA when Southern Cals had good teams, it's a big deal in LA.
3: Well, with that when when they didn't have NFL football, right. Southern Cal was their professional team.
1: Yeah.
3: And and that hasn't and in some ways that hasn't changed yet.
1: I think I'm headed towards this. The fact that basically four schools have dominated the appearances since this playoff started. The four schools being Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. They the these are the four schools that have been in it the most. And then you've had, you know, the the Notre Dame and the uh the the LSU winning the title last year. Um, but in uh, Oregon, I think maybe made it twice. But I think they have to expand it. I think they have to go to what I've always, you know, pushed for, which is something that I think would make for one of the great days on the sporting calendar. And that would be a quarterfinal, you know, quadruple header using home fields because these stadiums are part of the. Attraction to the sport, you know these home environments you know at Ohio State or lSU, et cetera, you know one versus eight two versus seven three versus six four for uh, four versus five the uh, you know the weekend after the Army Navy game, which is a a quiet week uh, weekend for college football and you play the semifinals on New Year's Day and you play the final afterwards but you don't use the bowls for the first you know for the quarterfinals i think it and you would have to do the five power conference winners and three at larges and if you get a non power 5 at large that that goes undefeated they are automatically qualified as one of the three at larges so you know if you get a coastal carolina or if you get you know, from years past, you know, uh, 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 a Boise or somebody like that, they automatically qualify if they go undefeated, period, as, as one of the three at largest. And well, I think I like
3: your plan. I, I like I, your plan a lot.
1: I think that would be the greatest, uh, one of the great days of the year. And I think waiting for these semifinal games, typically sometimes a month before you get them, which is more typical than what we had this year. Um, And then you get the same teams in it every year. It's give me a quarterfinal Saturday where, you know, I can watch um, Texas A&M, who was probably the number five team uh, against Notre Dame and South Bend in a four or five game. You know, give me give me Boise the year they go undefeated, or Coastal Carolina, or Liberty, or somebody like that who goes undefeated and give me them as an eight seed against Bama in Tuscaloosa. It's not gonna be pretty, but it would be I mean, I give me the possibility of a David versus Goliath. Yes, exactly. I, think the, the other I mean that that, that sells and no doubt, the, the the big the big issue too. It's not just the same teams, but it's the dominance of the same teams. You know, LSU and Bama and Ohio State and Clemson. I mean, it has really become a have and have not sport. I mean, you, there is a certain level that Bama and Ohio State and Clemson are at. Um and LSU. You know, LSU and Oklahoma and a couple of others. You know, sneak into that every but. After that, man, it's a different sport almost, recruiting-wise and otherwise. And, you know, Notre Dame didn't have a chance of winning in this Final Four. That's Notre Dame we're talking about. Two years ago, they didn't have a chance against Clemson uh, in the semifinals. That's Notre Dame, and they're at a different level than Bama and Ohio State. And Clemson. Different level all I don't know. I think the sport needs to figure something out because I think it's getting monotonous and boring. Not the regular season. Not the regular season. I still think the regular season is awesome. But it's the pageantry that makes it awesome too. And we didn't even have that this year.
3: <laughs> no, we didn't. Anyway. Let's, uh, talk, let's talk about a, a, another David and Goliath.
1: Okay. Um, give me the David and Goliath that you want. Is it Taylor Heineke? Yeah. Okay. I, you're, you, I, I spent with Cooley yesterday two hours talking about the game. Give me your thoughts, your takeaway not only from the game, but the season.
3: Well, okay, let's deal with the game. Let's deal with, with uh, Taylor Heineke. He had a tremendous game, I thought. I mean, I think he surprised a lot of people. It, it was hard not to surprise anybody because most people had never seen him play. Right. So so anything of anything that was decent was going to be a surprise. Uh and uh you gotta give him a lot of credit for 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 the way he played, the guts he showed, the leadership, how he say stayed, stayed cool under pressure. But come on. The Washington did not find their quarterback. Okay? I mean, you saw him for one game and people are ready to make him the starter for next year. You, we don't need to look for a quarterback. We got one. Who? Taylor Heineke. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, wait a minute.
3: That's, that's that's what I'm hearing from people. Oh,
1: yeah. No, 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 I no. Mean, 100% that's what you're hearing from people. I'm hearing yeah, the same this, thing.
3: Yeah, and I'm thinking, that you know, look, every – like the 100-year flood – Every once in a while there's a Kurt Warner right okay, who's bagging groceries one week and then playing in the Super Bowl the next right, but most of the time there's a reason these guys are on the street
1: most of the time not, you're right not and not more than most of the time almost all of the time
3: yes, not in a not even on a practice squad somewhere, okay so uh, I'm all for letting him come to camp sign him come to camp. Compete with Kyle Allen if you're not going out to get a Matt Stafford or somebody else to play quarterback for you next year. Sure, have him come in and compete with Kyle Allen for for the quarterback job next year, but stop it. Don't don't anoint this guy. I mean, show a little bit more uh, level of intelligence. This was one game. Are you that beaten up? As a fan, that you react that quickly to one professional performance by a quarterback.
1: Well, okay. Um, It's a totally reasonable position to have. And I'm struggling and have been since Saturday night with what do I think about Taylor Heineke? Because on one hand, he wasn't good, he was outstanding and the context of him being outstanding, was this was a goddamn playoff game. They didn't have a running game, and they were facing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, one of the best defenses in the NFL, and the only reason they had a chance to win this game was him. That is a fact about Saturday night. So, Anytime we've had, and I put out a list before the game of some of the comparable, you know, substitutions for an, a wild card round game. Connor Cook and Joe Webb and Ryan Lindley, and none of these people before him who have ever been in his position ever got it done, ever performed well. In fact, if well, you, you
3: saw, you saw how the line changed when when they named Taylor. Yeah, Hineby went up as to eleven starter. in
1: spots. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I did, but that doesn't mean that they were right. They just, they, they. they I think a lot of the sharp betters uh, just figured that Taylor Heineke would end up being Connor Cook because that's the way it usually goes. Like you said, it usually there's usually a reason that they haven't had that opportunity. But then there is Kurt Warner. Then there is, and this is this was my comp, Tommy. This was my comp in watching him. This is who I thought of as I was watching him. Jeff Garcia, who toiled away in the CFL for five, six years before the 49ers gave him a shot at 29 years old. It can happen. I do think it's insane to just say, oh, we got him. That's it. We don't have to draft anybody. We don't have to worry about Matt Stafford or Jameis Winston or Dak Prescott or Deshaun Watson, who is not going to be traded, people, Um, or anybody else. Okay, we got him. This is amazing. And, yes, it is part, in part, I agree with you. I think it is in part because it wasn't just about Taylor Heineke. You would have thought that they won the game. On Saturday oh, yes. night, based on the reaction, yes. and that is Absolutely. definitely a reaction to the condition that we have been in as a fan base. That getting to a playoff game is the measuring stick. Actually, going seven and nine or eight and eight is the measuring stick for a good season. Tommy, I said this yesterday, and I and I've had it, and, and I'm going to get to it now because I think it, it works perfectly. Because you very much have been adamant about. Ron Rivera doing it quickly so that he keeps the owner at bay. I give Ron Rivera the most credit for all that happened this year. Let me just remind everybody, as I just mentioned, they lost the game on Saturday night. They didn't win the game. They lost the game. Not only did they lose the game, they lost the game because many of you believe that that elite defense, which I've I've told you all year long is a good defense. It's not elite. I think it could be next year or the year after, but it isn't now. The defense that you insisted was elite lost the game for them. I mean, it was a terrible defensive night against the Buccaneers, against the greatest of all time. I understand that, but they had a bad game. Um, but they lost the game the other night, and they went 7-9. and nine. With that said, Tommy... It was an amazing accomplishment by the head coach this year. And Ron Rivera is one for one. He's one for one on sort of your preseason, you know, what had to happen. He uh, had a team that he kept interested in the darkest of moments All right. Uh, Name change, organization, you know, harassment claims, investigations, legal issues between owner and minority owners. And then on the field, one in five with late game tapping out, which they did early and in game quizzes and he's battling cancer and yet. He kept the team into it, he kept them competitive, and he did what he's done almost every year of his career. His team has gotten better. His teams get better as the season goes along, and they were able to take advantage of of a bad division and play meaningful games and get to the playoffs, and when they got there, they pushed Tampa Bay. They had a legitimate chance to win that game. Let me
3: just point this out for a second. Okay. Okay, Uh, because I wanted to stop beyond that point. I agree. You're spot on on everything you said. And the one thing I would say to Washington football fans who are dancing in the streets over losing that game, that was a winnable game.
1: Yeah, it was. You
3: could have won that game. I mean, I I wouldn't have said that before the game, but watching that game, you had every chance to win that game. Like you said, that defense, and they gave up 143 yards rushing. You know, I mean, they 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 gave up 501 yards total offense, 507 to Tampa, 507 something like that. So, I mean, there should be a level of frustration that says, "Geez, you could have beat Tampa Bay, and you'd be going on to the playoffs, not dancing in the streets over a loss for a lost playoff game." (laughs) I I I I always uh, in in boxing, I'm always weary about judging a guy based on a lo- a loss you know i mean and and in football baseball team sports it's not quite the same because sometimes there is a gradual growth that comes of a team but still i mean it's very it's it's sometimes a little bit weary to judge a team's success based on a losing effort <sighs>
1: I know I know that I, but by the way I understand what you're saying but I want to make sure I'm clear I'm not being critical of it I understand it I totally get it I'm more optimistic than I've been but I'm also Um, I'm also very much aware that I have felt this way before. You've been with me many times when I have felt this way before. You know, after the hiring of Mike Shanahan, you know, after the 2012 season, to a certain degree after the 2015 season, but not as much because I I wasn't a real big believer in Jay Gruden. And I really thought that they were horrible defensively and had such a long way to go defensively. Um, so I've been there before and been burnt by it before the one big takeaway for me though, that I am absolutely sure of is they hired the right guy. They got the right guy. I thought he was the right guy. And even though there were some Rocky moments early in the season, he proved to me that they hired the right guy to be the football coach and to be a big-time decision-maker in things that relate to the culture of the football organization. Now, whether or not he will be the one that breaks through the glass and you know keeps the owner at bay and is allowed to see this thing through, um, I don't know. I can't answer that. I'd be naive to say that I absolutely guarantee it and feel like he's the one. I don't. And as long as Snyder owns the team, that's going to be hanging over the the possibility of this being a new day. But I do think they got the right guy. And I am optimistic, even though they lost the game about next year and some of the things they can do. With respect to the quarterback thing, I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm going to trust in Rivera and Turner. If they think that they've discovered the next Jeff Garcia – Or the next Kurt Warner, um, I'm going to go with it. You know, I—I'll tell you what, I I, am—I sort of believe in what they believe in, Kyle Allen. Like, you know, Rivera said what was it last week when he was asked would they have been in the same position with Kyle Allen, and he said yes. And I thought that was a pretty – I
3: agree with that too.
1: I think that was pretty telling about what they think about Kyle Allen and that Kyle Allen, you know, prior to Saturday night was definitely coming back as a contender for the starting job and that maybe they feel the same way about – look, Scott Turner feels really good about Taylor Heineke. He's the one that identified this. So – I know. Um –
3: I know. Look, I, everything, I, we're, we're lockstep on this in everything. Yeah, but
1: you're much. being critical of, of those people for being optimistic after a 7-9 and no, nine and a playoff no. loss.
3: No, 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 no. I'm, I'm critical of not recognizing, of, of not including the history in your assessment. I mean, just saying, oh, this feels different. You know, don't do that. That's, that's, that's an illusion until it is different. It's an illusion. You have a long, long history track record to 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 give you information about what will likely happen. Yeah. Okay. Anything else is 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 kind of delusional speculation at this point. That's different than being optimistic. He, Ron Rivera, accomplished what what you know in in large part what I thought he should do this year. You know, uh, and and. Uh, I understand that it feels like the team is going in the right direction. But don't assume this is different.
1: Well, I'll, I'll tell you right now, like, I'm not assuming that next year is going to be 10-6 um, and and a division title and they win a playoff game. I'm not assuming that. It, the The NFL is, man, come on, we've all learned this. It is not just year to year; it's week to week. You you can go from being a Super Bowl contender in the preseason to six and ten. You know, lots of things can happen that can derail a season. I'm not you, as you know. I'm not a big into the schedule. Um, guy, but if you want to, if you want to look for a reason, you know that why it's going to be really hard to win ten games next year. Look at their 2021 opponents. Again, I'm not really big into this, but they play the AFC West. Okay, Kansas City is in the AFC West. So is Denver and the Chargers and the Raiders. They also play the NFC South. The Saints, the Buccaneers, all right, the Panthers who were improving, and the Falcons. They also have a first place schedule which pits them against the Packers and the Seahawks in their other two NFC games. And more likely than not, if there is a 17th game, it'll be against Buffalo. So, so right there. I mean, if if nobody, if those teams came back and were healthy and they didn't lose Aaron Rodgers or Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, you're going to be an underdog. You know, in the you know how so they they look ahead at a schedule and they they project point spreads. You know, of the 16 games, they're going to be an yes. underdog in like 10 or 11 of the games next year that they play. Before the season starts again, I think the schedule thing's overrated because things change so dramatically teams aren't as you know The bad teams end up not being as bad as you think, and some of the great teams end up not being as good as you think. And usually that's due to injuries that you can't predict. Um, but to have on your schedule next year, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, Seattle, New Orleans, Kansas City and Buffalo, um, that's pretty daunting. You know, that's what you get when you win a division. It doesn't matter that you were seven and nine. They don't say, oh, you were a seven and nine division winner. We won't give you the first place schedule. No, you were the division winner. Um, And they still have, you know, they got to fill some holes.
3: Yes, they do. I pointed this out in my column uh, off the game uh, on Sunday. And I went back to Mike Shanahan's first year in 2010 uh, when they went six and 10. Uh, wasn't quite seven and nine and an NFC East title, but that's in large part because both Dallas and Philly won 10 games that year in the NFC. They had legitimate uh, NFC East competitive teams that year. But I pointed out that uh, nine of, of the games that they played, uh, they held teams to 17 points or under. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and he did it with a roster that was, not nearly as good as the roster that that uh Ron Rivera inherited. There were two homegrown first round picks on the roster that Mike Shanahan got. There were six homegrown first round picks on the Ron Rivera roster that he inherited. So I mean there was it just it was a better roster and 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 we and uh, there was talk of the culture change. You know, he had stared down the owner's free agent Albert Haynesworth and chased him off, and he had benched the owner's quarterback and got rid of him right. in Donovan McNabb. Right. He had done all those things in year one, and then year two they went five and eleven. We know what happened after that. Yeah. Like I pointed out in my column, Pluto Snyder ha- had a food fight, and it all went <laughs> to hell.
1: Luto Snyder. Um, uh, yeah, like, look, beware, okay?
3: That's it. That's the key. Just, I mean, it's okay to feel good.
1: I feel good. I feel optimistic, but, but I also but, am... But,
3: but have your eyes open.
1: <clears throat> yeah, agreed. Um, so, uh, I just saw this as we were getting ready for the show, and I, I wanted to bring this up. I'm actually upset that I didn't see this before the radio show this morning. Ron Rivera, who I think is going to be on the radio show this week. Apparently they've told me he's going to be on the radio show this week with me. So I'll I'll look forward to that. But he was on with Grant and Danny yesterday on 1067 The Fan. And he admitted it he basically admitted he made a mistake with Dwayne Haskins. Yeah. Um he said I'm going to give you some of the quotes. <clears throat> he said that basically in hindsight Uh, he admits that he should have given more reps to the other quarterbacks, Kyle Allen and Alex Smith, more first-team reps. And then he also said he was surprised by the negative reaction by the fans to his decision to bench Haskins uh, originally. He said, I was surprised by the reaction. First of all, I did certain things specifically to try and find out as quickly as possible. As I detailed, Haskins took every snap with the ones for seven straight weeks in training camp. For four straight weeks of football, He played every snap as the quarterback. And the idea behind that was really to evaluate. We didn't have the normal OTAs in minicamp. We didn't have the normal training camp preseason games. So there was a lot of unknowns. And getting the exposure... I did get. I, I did gave me an opportunity to see what we had at the position. Now I made the move for more reasons than one, but also because, as I said, a couple of things that, 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 that a couple of things stood out. We had a group of other guys that we had to develop. That was important to have them get their chances to grow. And nobody was running away with the division. So I made the decision based on those factors as well. And then he said this. Asked if he could go back to the beginning when he was first hired, if he would have done things differently at the quarterback position. Rivera says he would have spread the reps with the ones around a little more evenly. Yes, I would have, he said. I think the biggest thing I would have done is I would have created uh, a few more opportunities mixing everybody around as opposed to saying, okay, I'm going to stick with just one guy and do that. I think now in retrospect, uh, in hindsight, 2020, I would, and it's something that I'm going to chalk up as an experience. You know, you learn from experience, and if I ever get in this situation again, I will look at it differently. Um, uh, Grant said, you're essentially saying maybe it would have been better to have a competition or at least get reps um, for, for other guys. And he said, quote, well, what I'm saying is I made a mistake, and I'm owning up to it, and that's the truth. I mean, to put it as simple as that, yes, what I'm saying, I'm just being honest, closed quote. Now, you know, in terms of him making the mistake on not sharing the reps, that's sort of what he's admitting to. Personally, I didn't hear it, but what I'm reading is I'm reading that Rivera made a mistake to just to, to not cut bait when he knew in his gut that Haskins wasn't going to be the guy. It was a waste of time, ultimately. Yeah. And if he's on yeah. if he's on with me this week, which I hope he is, I'm going to ask him um, if if that's something that he regrets. But you know what? We'll also focus on th- this very optimistic future. <laughs>
3: yes, yes. And it would take time from dancing in the streets to sit down and talk to, to the coach. And one thing he said I think that's real interesting there was that he was surprised at the fan reaction when he benched Haskins. Now – there was a segment of the fan base that was angry about that, but it wasn't a large outcry.
1: I agree with you. Totally which, agree.
3: Which really makes me think that he really pays attention to what people say and what people write and what's talked about.
1: He's, he has admitted that.
3: Well, that's your proof right there. He, he was surprised at the fan reaction.
1: Well, I mean, that, well, he—he's—I he, think he's saying that he was surprised by the reaction that he heard that was negative, like you, you right. shouldn't have benched him.
3: Right, but, okay, but I mean, yeah. you and I can agree there was there was no outcry. Then why are there you saying a, that
1: he listens carefully?
3: Well, because I'm, I'm kind of surprised that he that he was surprised because there wasn't that much of an outcry. Okay, all right, but there wasn't that much of a reaction, which means he's sensitive.
1: I think that I remember from those days that there was just so many questions about it and I could sense from those days that he was like wait a minute did you guys watch him play and then yeah. you know and then b- th- then he got his you know it got his ire up a little bit and he started to talk about he had 52 other people to consider and that those 52 people were basically having conversations about when's the head coach going to put in the better quarterback you know, he, he he's, they, they threw him under the bus. Remember know, a little bit.
3: I know. He's more sensitive, I think, than people realize.
1: I think he's very much – I think he's admitted this, that he pays attention to what people say and write.
3: Yeah. To me, it's all one. The perception and the football business, it all runs together these days. So it's it's important to be aware of what your football moves will – how they'll play in the fan base – but to, to really uh, express that and to have it, I mean, it's. It, it, I'm not saying it dictated what he did, but uh, to publicly express that, I think it's a little bit surprising.
1: Yeah, I think also remember with him, he's he hasn't just been the football coach since he took over. Um, right. I don't know. My personal preference would be. You don't listen to anything that we say or even the fans say or you're going to end up joining us. You know, that old saying. But with that said, like, I know I know Mike used to listen to our show. I know Mike definitely used to listen to the Monday Morning Quarterback show on his way in when Andy and I were doing Monday Morning Quarterback on the mornings after games. I mean, he told me. he oh, I know, Mike.
3: Mike you know, very aware of what was written and what was said. <laughs> I knew that from reading this book.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, and I, and I know that Jay listened and I know that people in the organization right now, but the head coach, I would prefer it to be more like Belichick, obviously, or Gibbs. I don't think Gibbs really ever had a sense of oh, what any, no. now it's a different, it was a different day. I mean, there wasn't sports talk radio and there wasn't bloggers and there wasn't social media. Um, But, yeah, I mean, that would be my preference. But, anyway, all right, um, last question um, before we we say goodbye to Tommy for the day and bring in Cooley for his film breakdown. What would your quarterback plan be?
3: Okay, well, to me, if I don't have personnel people that I believe in, that in almost every draft can look at the draft and tell me one or two guys – who are potential NFL quarterbacks, besides the number one or number two picks, then I don't have good personnel people. Will they be right? No. But I think in every draft, if I've got good personnel people, I've got a guy who understands the guy from North Dakota State. Trey Lance. Nobody ever seen, huh? Trey Lance. I'm just throwing out a college. Oh, well, he he,
1: he, 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 he is going to be potentially a first-round pick from North Dakota State.
3: South Dakota State, any place like that. I want to have personnel people that are good enough to be able to spot the one or two quarterbacks in every draft that are under the radar that have the potential to be NFL starters. So, to me, if I got those personnel people in charge – I'm going into the season next year with Kyle Allen probably as my starter, but drafting a quarterback maybe in the third or fourth round.
1: What are you going to do with Taylor Heineke?
3: I'll sign him too. Bring him on. let will bring him to camp. You know, let's have a quarterback competition, him and Kyle Allen. That's fine. But I'm going to draft a quarterback in the third round that I think has has potential to be an NFL starter.
1: What if there's a there's a market for Taylor Heineke? What if there's competition for him? I don't know if there's going to be or not. I don't. His uh, college coach, um, Bobby Wilder, who was on with Galdi yesterday, man, he clearly a friend of Taylor Heineke's, and almost acting um, as as a public uh, agent for him, and and talking about you know the options he's going to have, et cetera. Um, I don't know what the status of of Heineke is if he's an undrafted free agent or a restricted free agent, but. Anyway, I don't see there being like a bidding war for Taylor Heineke off of one no. game. But I think it's, I, I God, man, I just think there there's some things that we're always a little bit off on, like trade value I think we're always off on. And I think quarterback evaluation of these kinds of quarterbacks that we haven't really seen a lot in college, even the ones that we do see a lot of in college, it's really hard. Like, I, I think I've been much better over the years at identifying the guys that I don't think will be very good coming out of college and identifying the guys that I do think will be good as a fan. Now, we got to see him start in the, the highest pressure of environments, and he was excellent. He really was. Yes. I mean, he was excellent. He
3: should have won the game.
1: I certainly had a chance to. He had a chance to.
3: If his defense had given him support, he could have won that game.
1: Yep. Um, all right. Uh, anything two else?
3: Things real, yeah, two things. Okay. Real quick. First of all, this is the greatest day in my life uh, back in 1969 as a, as a football fan. Because this is the day the Go Jets in. beat the Colts in Super Bowl three The Super Bowl win that Namath guaranteed. And for people who always... Say who look at Joe Namath's stats and say, why is he in the Hall of Fame? This, Joe Namath is the ultimate you-had-to-be-there guy. You had to be there. You had to be around. You had to be part of it to understand his importance, impact, and talent. He threw for 4,000 yards oh. in 14 games before any – like 12 years before another quarterback did it.
1: Right. Right. So even if he did so, throw I mean, a lot of interceptions.
3: Yeah. So you just had to be there to be part of it. The other thing is I want to wish a happy birthday to the late great heavyweight champion, Joe Fraser. One of the who 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 without Joe Fraser, there's no Muhammad Ali. Without those three Fraser Ali fights, Ali's status, Ali's legend is not nearly as great.
1: So on Namath, um I grew up with a father who loved I've told you this before. My father loved the ABA and the AFL more than he liked the NBA and the NFL. The first basketball that I was ever given when I was a kid was an ABA red, white and blue ball Tommy. My father was very much, you know, um into the underdog and into the alternative, you know, leagues. You know, he was a huge Redskins fan. Don't get me wrong, we had season tickets growing right. up, but he loved Joe Namath. And, um, so I remember very, I mean, the very end of Joe Namath's career, you, you, know, you obviously lived through it as a jet fan, but over the years, I know that I've looked at Joe Namath's career and the thing that people always will say is he threw more interceptions than touchdowns, like a lot more also keep in mind people, it was a different game yeah, like you mugged wide receivers. There, was, there were, the Receivers were getting handled from the line of scrimmage all the way downfield. If Joe Namath were playing in today's game, he wouldn't have anywhere near the, the, that number of interceptions. What was always interesting to me in watching, you know, sort of the highlights of him, and my father always said, Sonny and Namath, in terms of pure passers, that's the list. You know, this is yes, way back right. in the day. That's right. If you watch Namath, good God, did he throw a beautiful ball. And he threw a great deep ball. And threw a great deep ball to one of the great wide receivers in the history of the game, Don Maynard. Um, But he was putting up numbers in that era, yardage-wise, that had never uh, happened. It is interesting, though, to just see the difference in the game. His career completion percentage was 50.1%. He had many years. The year that he... Uh, threw for 4,000 yards, and I think he became the first quarterback to throw for 4,000 yards. He was 52.5% completion percentage, 26 touchdowns, 28 interceptions. I know. But he's in the Hall of Fame because he forced the merger more than any single person did. He was the one. Not
3: not only that, he was Broadway Joe. He was the first uh, athlete Superstar endorser. Right. I mean, he he had an impact on all sports. All sports.
1: Yeah, I mean, you just mentioned Frazier. Look, in the in that era, the two biggest superstars in sports were Namath and Ali.
3: Yes. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> um, who was the baseball superstar in 69? Mantle?
3: No, he was at the end. He, he, he was at the I end. Think he was retired by then. Was
1: he retired in 69? 69? Um, Mays.
3: Mays was near the end of his career. Right. At the time. Uh, 69. Uh, that was the beginning of Reggie Jackson.
1: Uh, Bob Gibson.
3: Gibson to some extent. Yeah.
1: Mantle retired in 68. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Willie Mays, well Mays was playing into the early seventies. I I remember well, I him think
3: seventy seventy four was his with last the Mets. Year.
1: Yeah, I remember him yeah. with the Mets. Um in seventy three. So yeah. in sixty nine he was still a star. And yes. I'm just pulling up his thing. In sixty nine he was thirty eight years old. Thirty eight years old. Yeah. G- Gibson was the you know, was a huge star, right? I mean, in one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Yes. All right. Um, okay. Uh, We'll talk on Thursday. Okay, boss. Cooley's film breakdown of the offense right after this word from one of our sponsors.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: All right, let's bring in uh, Cooley. Uh, He has the offensive film breakdown from the Tampa Bay game on Saturday night. It'll be his last game film breakdown on the podcast. He'll have plenty as we approach free agency and the draft. Um, He has a different way that he wants to do the the film breakdown, so I'm just going to go with it when he gets started. But you said that you have a what do you got to start our uh, our segment together here today are
2: multiple segments together here today. What is it? This is one of my favorite. What do you got a okay. long time? So I'm sitting here doing the film breakdown this morning, 633. I get a text from you. Our fans trying to make an excuse that chase young was doubled and held the entire game. I watched every pass play. He was owned by Smith held maybe twice on 65 snaps. He was the best player on the team all year. He wasn't good on Saturday night. When did you become sensitive? <laughs> <laughs> uh. You had this idea that Chase Young didn't play well. Yeah, and I haven't watched very much of the defense. And I will tell you right now, for certain that I watched Chase Young get owned by Donovan Smith on at least seven or eight snaps. Oh, it's going to be more than that. So on at least seven or eight, I know that he got owned. He may have gotten doubled back and forth. But the reason I love this is because I have done this film stuff (laughs) and had these hard takes on players for seven years. It sucks when no one agrees with you. Well,
1: no, no, no. I would say that most people did agree with me, but there were, the thing that bothered me. You took the 1%, you took the 10%ers? No, no, no. I didn't share with you what I was most, what I was Mm -hmm. upset about. What I was upset about was that there was a, what got me started on the radio show this morning is, uh, is several people sent me this video. That I, to be honest with you, I I didn't do a lot of research into to find out where the video came. Somebody told me the team put it out, and I'm gonna find it here in a second because I didn't have it up. I didn't know what your what what do you got was gonna be, so just bear with me. Um, but basically, here it is it's a video that says they said Chase Young was a no show. Try being held damn near all game, LOL. See y'all next year, Washington football. Chase Young, keep balling, man. And it's a 10-second video of, by the way, the one play that I found, uh, the two plays that I found where he was held out of 65 snaps and 40 or whatever throws that Brady had. But other than that, I when I got this last night, I went through every play. I'm like, oh, my God, I had no idea he was as bad as he was. Like this guy, Donovan Smith, he was the most valuable player, not named Brady, on the Buccaneers' offense. Because the best player all year for Washington was a non-factor in the game. But why I brought it up is because Chase Young retweeted this video. And I just think that he's bigger than that. And I want him to be bigger than that. He didn't play well, so say hey, I didn't play well enough. You know, we lost a game, and the next time I'm going to be much better and the defense is going to be much better. Donovan Smith had a hell of a game. I need to be better. Instead of retweeting a video that where somebody says he was held damn near all game, even if he was held all game long, which he wasn't, he shouldn't retweet that. And I know that, you know, there's the OK Boomer element out there. You know, this is what young people do. I don't want him to do it. He was the best player on the team all year long. He was my favorite player on the team all year long. I The only reason they were in this position to play in this game Saturday night was because of the defense and because of him. And I wanted him to be better Saturday night, but he wasn't. So I'm not going to cheerlead. And I'm not going to say oh, he's just young and he's you know a little bit sensitive. I just think it's small to do that. And I thought and I think he's bigger than that. That's all. That's what got me on this topic this morning. Now I can't wait to hear your film breakdown um, of Chase Young's performance. Uh, but it wasn't good. It was for a guy that just wreaked havoc so much of the year. There was none of that Saturday night. None of it. So, anyway. I hate that he retweeted that. You do? I, I didn't but think He retweeted that... the excuse? Yeah. Now, some somebody called and said, you don't know what the context does. You don't know what the guy was retweeting. Maybe he was just retweeting this because it was a friend of his, and he wanted the guy to get— so, I, I I mean— And somebody else pointed out the intangibles that Chase Young brings to the team as a leader, you don't know that that wasn't a factor in the game. Well, I don't. You're right. Maybe he was the inspiration behind Heineke's performance. And so I can't measure that, obviously. I can only watch the game and know that defensively, the defense A was a mess, and he did not have any positive impact on the game. Like like I expected him to, and what I told you yesterday was sort of how I felt. I think he put a little bit. I didn't have a problem with what he said about Brady, but you got to back it up. I never had a problem when I was much younger with Dexter Manley, you know, making big boasts during the week. But you know what he did every single time, backed it up. And so if you're gonna, you got to understand this is the playoffs. And Tom Brady is Tom Brady. So no matter how benign what you said or how emotional you were and how much you either meant it or didn't, it was going to make headlines. And it was going to put more pressure on him to perform. And so maybe it put too much pressure on him. Maybe that was part of it. Maybe he learned, you know what, I'm going to go in there very much under the radar and dominate rather than being on the radar and not dominating. Because he didn't dominate, that's for sure. I still love him. I still think he's the best pound-for-pound player on the team. I don't think they would have been in the postseason without him. Early in the year when people were complaining about his statistics, I was on, on radio and with you saying, what are you people watching? He's the best player on the field. He just wasn't on Saturday night. It's okay to say that. We don't need to be cheerleaders here. It's big boy league. All right, It's a big boy league, and I'm all behind him 100%, but he didn't play well, and I was disappointed that he retweeted an excuse made for his performance.
2: That's all. I think that there's been no bigger fan of Chase Young than you and I. There's certainly been no bigger fan than, than I have.
1: I mean, you know, I, I – I can't tell you how much and how exhilarated and how excited and thrilled I've been by watching him play this year and how excited I was when they drafted him and how pumped I was when they didn't beat the Giants at the end of last year so that they could draft him, you know? And I remember getting into this argument about the Clemson semifinal game last year with a lot of people that said, your boy, your boy didn't have one sack. And I'm like, yeah, but did you watch the game? They doubled, they chipped, they tripled, and it freed up everybody else. Well, that did not happen Saturday night, okay? They weren't doubling him. They weren't tripling him. They weren't chipping him. They told Donovan Smith, you're good enough to block this guy, and he was on Saturday night.
2: They probably could have created for him better than they did. Who, Del Rio? Del Rio? Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. But okay. Donovan Smith, I watched a bunch of that. Donovan Smith played a darn good game. I thought he
1: did. But you'll do his film breakdown tomorrow. Let's get started with the offensive film breakdown. Wait a minute. You actually wanted to talk about the game last night first, right? How good is Devontae Smith? Uh, Really good. Like the best receiver in college football in many years, maybe.
2: Like, put him anywhere on the field. Do whatever you want with him. Don't let your defense have a matchup with the linebacker when he's running vertical down the field. Yeah. Yeah. But that said, how good are all of the receivers for Alabama so to allocate everything to Devontae Smith ends up getting beat by whoever else they want to throw the ball to? I mean, that offense is a fucking machine. It's unbelievable. They are so much better than anybody they play. It is almost a surprise if they don't get five yards on every single play. They did whatever they wanted. Golly, I have a couple friends here in Wyoming that are Ohio State fans, and so I was... Texting back and forth, and we had talked yesterday. My daughter's principal is a big Ohio State fan, and he said, What's the, you know, what are the coolie keys to the game? And I said, Somehow you got to hold of them under 40, under 45 for sure. Well, that wasn't happening. Good luck. Dude, that game was 7 7 at halftime. I finished eating dinner, drove home, and it was like 35 14. 7 7 at the end of the first quarter. Yeah, yeah, at the end of the first quarter. Yeah. So I rewound it. Ohio State's got dudes, Kev. I know they do. They can play. They have pros on that defense. I mean, the lack of preparation for some of the motion stuff for Ohio State was bad, too. They did not know how to trail some of the motions. Even late in the game, the white dude comes across the field behind in motion. But, gosh, I got to tell you what, I was impressed with Sarkeesian. He had it dialed up, man. He had guys in spots. He knew exactly how to manipulate Ohio State's defense. He knew how to create matchups. The quarterback's pretty good, too. I was going to ask you about he's him. He's mon- molasses, but yeah. he's pretty good. He knows where he's going with the football. Now, that said, there were some open receivers in that ballgame.
1: You know, he's a guy that's being mocked now in the portion of the draft where Washington's going to select at 19. He's being mocked in that general area. I mean, I – you know, there are a lot of quarterbacks being mocked in the first round right now. I mean, actually, the latest CBSSports.com mock draft has Mac Jones going to Washington at 19.
2: They have – Heineke,
1: <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we're going to get to that in a moment. Um, would, is Mac Brown in? Is Mac Brown a first round pick in, in your view?
2: I'll be completely honest with you. I don't know. I haven't watched enough, and I do know for certain that Alabama has three or four dudes at receiver that are probably better than. Almost anybody in college football, and then two backs and an offensive line that can do whatever they want, and so it's just dealer's choice all day for the quarterback. Right. He is that that offense. It's unbelievable.
1: Well, I mean, Haskins. But he makes the throw. I mean,
2: is he Haskins? No, he's not Haskins. He throws the ball down the field. Right. No, he he is he's a vertical passer who reads the safeties and reads the back end and takes shots down the field. How good is that? I I mean, I don't know. I I thought he was just amazing. How good is Najee Harris? How good is the second back that came into the game?
1: But the other big dude. But Harris is so strong and has such great vision and is such a, I mean, a tough
2: dude. I mean, I mean, and he can come out of the backfield and make some plays as a receiver. The touchdown he has, it's like the swing he gets out there. Jeez. And we didn't even
1: see the best of Waddle. I mean, a lot of people – you know Waddell before this se- move. Before this season, before Waddle got hurt, Waddle was going to go before Smith. Jamar Chase was going to go before Smith. I love Jamar Chase. The, I've been saying since, since before the season started, Smith to me is the number one receiver in the draft. I – Uh, You know, I I made this comment to you, I think, earlier in the year. I said, I think he's the best route runner of all of the Bama guys. And I had a friend of mine who's coached football before and is actually still coaching. He said that he thinks Cooper is the best route runner of the Bama guys in recent years. But Smith also has... Who, who, Amari
2: Cooper? Yeah. Is your friend me? Because I've said that to you nine times on this podcast. Yes, I'll just say it was you. Um <laughs> the other the other part I mean we um, can go track that back. The, the other, I think Cooper's amazing.
1: The other part of Smith is his arms are so he's got long arms and he's got great hands. And my God, he may not be rugs on the forty time, but his football speed is breathtaking. Like the acceleration on one of those passes that he took on sort of some motion where he came back the other way, and then he got to the sideline, and he just – it was a blur. He's really spectacular. I i always hesitate with the receivers early in the draft. I mean, obviously we're not going to have a chance at Smith or Chase or probably not even Waddle. Um, but, oof, he is really good. People are, are are trying to make the case that he's the greatest receiver in the history of the sport. You know, Randy Moss at a you know low, slightly lower level. Obviously, Marshall was a great college receiver. Larry Fitzgerald was a great wide receiver. Those are some of the recent people that I've I've thought about. Um, it's funny some of the great NFL receivers weren't necessarily the the best in college or perceived best. Look, Justin Jefferson last year. There were multiple receivers that went before him. He was drafted at 22 in the first round. Judy and Ruggs and who else went before him? I'm forgetting somebody else that went before him. Um, yeah. I mean, where does this kid go? Top five.
2: Now, top five. Three? Oh. Does he go three after the two... Quarterbacks, and the other thing is, where does Fields go?
1: I don't think he should go number. I don't. I don't. He played so well in the semifinal against Clemson. It was such a great game for him, and I know he was hurting last night. And look, Ohio State lost Trey Sermon on the first play but of the first game, play. and that was devastating because Sermon had ba- had basically run for like 500 yards, and well, more than that, f- close to 600 yards in two games leading into this thing. And they also were without a couple of their starting defensive linemen. Um, in the game as well but I've watched a lot of fields I don't think he is a top 15 guy and he's gonna go in the top 15 I haven't seen Trey Lance either and I I watched some of Zach Wilson the BYU quarterback I think the only guy I'm absolutely sure of is Trevor Lawrence like you know he he's I I don't know like
2: put it this way BYU quarterback can play he can legit play and you also have to keep in mind with the BYU quarterback, they don't have the talent that some of the other teams have around them. I know.
1: And certainly not Bama or Ohio State. It's, you know, there's um, there's the guy that I, I think Ron Rivera wants his middle linebacker in this draft. And Micah Parsons opted out of this season at Penn State, like a lot of players did. Jamar Chase, several guys that are going to go in the first round opted out of the season this year. You know, the guy, the um, the big tackle from Oregon opted out. Uh, Jamar Chase opted out. Um, Micah Parsons opted out. You know, all top 10 to top 15 picks. Man, if there's any way they could get Parsons, that's his – because I think Ron Rivera wants his middle linebacker. That's what I think he wants more than anything else in this offseason. But anyway, uh, I don't think they're going to have a chance at Parsons.
2: You never know as this thing plays out, especially as some of the quarterbacks come up in this draft, if some of these guys start getting taken. What about Peterson getting fired? Peterson was not getting fired until he did what he did against Washington. Do you think that's true? Yep. Well, Jeffrey Lurie didn't say that. Jeffrey Lurie is not going to say that. I understand. It may have even been a plan with Lurie. I don't know. I don't think the handling of Carson Wentz, your franchise quarterback, and him essentially, Kevin, since Foles left, feeling uncomfortable in that organization is something you want to build around going forward. Now, there are stories going back to two seasons ago where Foles had to walk in every day and there's giant posters of Nick Foles winning the Super Bowl. And it's hard not to do that as an organization. But the fact that Peterson never had him completely comfortable and, Kev, to me, the offensive coach who came out with all this creativity and was electric with Wentz in his rookie year and that first half of the Super Bowl year where he was hurt, can't figure out a way to work that relationship and to work what Wentz does best and to settle down a third and fourth year quarterback from throwing picks. Now I get it that they didn't have dudes as far as receivers and they've been banged up the last couple of years, but gosh, it's just fascinating. Well, the I, other thing with Peterson is you remember that Super Bowl year in the first year, all of the analytics stuff worked out for him. Yeah. They were awesome on fourth downs. They haven't been as good in those situations where he's dialing up analytic type calls. Context, takes a lot of context, risks. Context,
1: you didn't have a lot of good players to make those fourth downs this well, year. Context is huge, yeah. and you uh, there's a lot of jobs. I mean, I want to I, you of where this goes... I want to remind you of something for a second because you think that his decision to intentionally throw the game in the fourth quarter is why he's out. And yet you believed the day after, and I believe that you're right about this, that the word came from somewhere else, that this, this was a Lurie or a Howie Roseman saying, we can't win this game. We're going to lose multiple draft slots here. And Peterson, you know, then put in Nate Sudfeld, because you said he wouldn't have done that to Sudfeld in that spot. Um, so I just want to remind you that if if you still feel that that was what happened in the game, well, you can't fire Peterson for a decision you made. I think this is more than that. I've heard that Peterson wasn't going to be allowed to hire his own staff and that created uh, when I say I've heard I've read you know from whether it's sure. you know Mort or Sal Pal or any of the others that you know they they were going to bring in a staff for him and that this ended up being you know sort of more mutual than than just a firing I just to me as a longtime NFL fan and an NFC East fan I just think it's amazing that the guy that won the Eagles the Super Bowl, you have to understand, for 40 years, know. 50 years, for 50 years, this fan base walked around like they had won four of them. I mean, there, there just has never been a more delusional fan base in the NFC East than Eagle fans. You know, for 50 years they're walking around and you would think that they had all the Lombardis in their in their lobby and, and Washington, Dallas, and, and the Giants didn't have any. And then they finally got one. They finally got one. And I remember the day after that, that they won that Super Bowl against New England. As much as I can't stand my NFC East rivals, on some level I was like, good for you guys. You know, jo- now you're actually in the club. The club that you actually thought you were a part of that you 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 talked yourself into being a part of. You now are actually a part of the club. Welcome to the club. And they fired the guy three
2: years later. That's crazy to me. It's insane. If, if maybe there is something mutual because remember
1: Schwartz said he's out like before the final game. Yeah.
2: He's going to take some time off. Yeah. At least a year.
1: By the way, they've already reached out to Todd Bowles. You know how much I like Todd Bowles and how I would have loved if, if we had hired Todd Bowles last year. Now I love the Rivera hire, obviously, but um, I think Todd Bowles is going to get a chance to be a head coach again. I really do. And by the way, I think Doug Peterson's going to get a pretty good uh, chance to, I mean, apparently he is boys with, um, uh, with what's his face, Joe Douglas in, in New York with the Jets so that's a really good
2: possibility too um i wouldn't be surprised if peterson said i'll just i'll just go back and be the oc for the kansas city chiefs because B enemy is going to get a job this year B enemy should get a job this year B enemy will get a job this year yeah so i wouldn't be surprised if peterson just said hey andy you're really good at managing this head coaching stuff and i I've already won a Super Bowl as a head coach, and, and I'll just call plays. Right. I won't deal with all the crap. That's your job. You're great at it. Let me call plays.
1: What if the Eagles hire Beanie? enemy? <laughs> wouldn't that be crazy? I, I, it would be crazy. It, well, it wouldn't be crazy. Okay, so hey Andy, thanks for Doug. We
2: got one Super Bowl. You can have you can have Doug back. <laughs> yeah, we will take Me now because we like the coach that was just with you. It seems to me, or it seems to us, that the coach that's left you for four years starts to lose that creative spark. You're apparently the creative spark, Andy. So you take Doug back. We'll take enemy,
1: See how that goes for a few years. It's it's really like remarkable when you think about that Peterson. Okay, Doug Peterson in Philadelphia, seven and nine first year, thirteen and three Super Bowl champions, nine and seven playoffs. They won a game. They beat Chicago, then lost to the Saints in a game they had a chance to win. I think it was Alshon Jeffrey, or maybe it was Aguilar that dropped the pass um, that had him in uh, in, in, in range of winning the game. Then last year, nine and seven, they win the division again, and Carson Wentz gets hurt in the first quarter, and they lose a game to Seattle in the first round. By the way, I thought they were going to win the game had Carson Wentz stayed healthy. And then in a pandemic... Weird year where they lost so many players to injury. He gets fired, really? I, I, I mean, there, there, there really had to be. It's, it's got to be. There's, it's personal here somewhere. There's just a, there, there, there's a, a Lurie a Roseman versus you know Peterson. We just don't like the dude. Kind of a thing. You don't fire a coach who in his previous three years went to the playoffs, won a Super Bowl, and in, in another year with a team that wasn't that great nearly got to the NFC Championship game. In a year that is as weird as this one and can totally be totally be chalked up to injuries. That's why they were 4-11-1, injuries more than anything else.
2: Y- yeah. And it's also funny because they were th- – supposed to be on the well it started with Chip Kelly but Peterson was also supposed to be a little bit on the analytic front of it, keeping guys healthy Oh right. couldn't, keep, couldn't yeah. keep guys healthy
1: Yeah, I remember you uh, comparing what Philadelphia and Seattle and others were doing versus what Washington was doing look I want to get to the film breakdown because if not the podcast is going to be forever but I will just mention this one other thing the Cowboys hired Dan Quinn to be their defensive coordinator that is a major upgrade over Mike Nolan major upgrade
2: over Mike Nolan, in my opinion. Do you agree with that? Totally agree. Dan Quinn was an incredible defensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. Dan Quinn was, in Seattle, patented that straight cover three with a dynamic rush. And if you were Dallas, why in the holy hell, with that front, would you confuse your back end? (laughs) Right. Right.
1: That's been the strength. Their front. Um, All right. Cooley's film breakdown of the offense uh, right when we uh, come back, right after this word from one of our sponsors.
0: We're going in-depth, play-by-play. The The Cooley Cooley
1: Film Breakdown.
3: Breakdown. Here's
1: Cooley and Kevin. Cooley's going to do his offensive film breakdown at the Tampa game today. He'll do the defensive film breakdown tomorrow. You're going to do it a little bit differently. You want to go through this game offensively, play-by-play. Is that what uh... essentially
2: series by series okay. and it's so it's it's a little bit different because I, I just, I'll give you thoughts on how a lot of the guys played and some of the grades on some of the offensive players and absolutely the Heineke grade, which I have, okay. it won't feel that different because a lot of times we go through play by play in order with a lot of these guys. Okay. But I just thought some of it, I just thought it's interesting. And I think it's fun. Um, I want to encourage anybody to have the All-22 because if you have the All-22, this is the easiest way to do this with me. True. Because True. you can essentially pause the podcast, watch whatever we're talking about, and we're literally walking through th- this entire offensive game. All right, let's get they're started. There's 60-some plays, and let's get through it. And the ones that don't matter, I'm not going to waste a lot of time on. Okay. Their first series of the game, they're already down 3 nothing. First series, of the game's a three-and-out series. Very first play of the game. We're talking about trying to run the ball against this Tampa team. <laughs> it didn't go well from the beginning. And I'm not talking about gaping holes here, and there weren't. Tampa did a really good job up front, but this first play is indicative of a lot of the problems that they had on some of these run plays. Logan Thomas is on the edge. He's in a two-point stance. He way overstrides the defensive end, 58, and honestly, Kev, they're trying to bounce this thing. This has a chance to be out the gate, first play of the game. You got a chance to be out the gate. No receivers to the side. You're pulling a garden tackle or, or a garden center. You are. At the edge, if Logan Thomas gets a simple pin block, mm, right. he's struggled all year in a two-point stance blocking a defensive end. He's been actually good in a three-point stance. You should know that he is not a two-point stance blocker. This is not a good opportunity. The first play of the game to get Logan Thomas going on Kev What's really a pretty tough block. Against Shaq Barrett. It's Shaq, but just put him in his two-point stance. He's gotten that block done all day. Right. All year in a two-point – or excuse me, in a, in a three-point with his hand down. Right. Instead of a, out the gate or 10 or 15 or whatever it is what Gibson makes happen, we're sitting there looking at a second and 14.
1: Yeah, you're right too. If he if he gets hit that pin and, and Gibson gets to the outside, no matter how compromised Gibson was, he's got guys pulling and he's got some room to go for a big run on the first
2: play. First play of the game, we're going to open this thing up. Yeah. Second play of the game, what a – what a great throw down the field, the Sims on, on a four verts concept. Heineke does an excellent job in the pocket. There's good protection. He's reading the single high safety. It, I mean, he's got a shot. He's funny because Sims actually slows down. Terry pretty much shuts it down outside of Sims. They're not used to the ball coming out that way, that late <laughs> in a the play. Right. They're like, Oh, ball's not out in one second. Probably, probably done. Sims should make this play. And then Sims gets up and Logan comes over and they kind of give five, like, that was a tough ball to catch. No, run through the ball. It's a 30, 35 yard reception. If you run through the ball, that's got to be caught. It's the playoffs. Tampa. Got to make plays for your quarterback. Yeah. Forced to throw underneath on a third and 14. They end up punting. They complete a third and 14. It's fine. Three and out. Second drive.
1: They're down nine nothing now.
2: Second drive of the game, first and 10 is an incompletion. Second and 10, back to Logan Thomas. It's a miss on the backside, a second and 10 run. The linebacker replaces the safety gap. Logan, I think it's Shaq Baird again, backside. Line, linebacker replaces the safety. Logan just bypasses the linebacker, crashing the backside, goes up to the safety. We got to tackle off the edge. Okay, going to be hard to run the ball today. <laughs> Then you get a third and long, and Heineke does an exceptional job with the high-low read of the corner, and he finds Sims on the deeper corner. They have a eight to ten yard out with Cam Sims or with Stephen Sims, and then over the top is Cam Sims. It's awesome, man! It's a great job high lowing that thing. That was good vers- read.
1: That was versus the blitz too.
2: Yeah, it's really good. Who picked up that blitz? I'd have to go
1: watch it again. Um, that's that's a really good play. By the way, it was still 3 nothing at this point because I know what's coming up next. I think I know what's coming up next. But they sent um, – I think McKissick may have picked that up. Okay,
2: continue. First and 10, we, we're going to get back to running the ball. First mm-hmm. and 10 at the 46-yard line. Terry McLaurin is in a tight split to the line of scrimmage. Number 31 walks up on the edge. That's he's going to come.
1: That's Winfield Jr.
2: Winfield walks right up on the edge. Watch this play because I, I love Terry and he's a great effort player terry lets him go like what the fuck and then he jogs up the field about seven yards touches no one lets the next player cross his face and i'm sitting here thinking either this is a bad plan or it's bad preparation because he didn't know he was going to block winfield he blocks winfield and he least got a shot you're not going for a negative play there what's he doing Mm. It's the playoffs (laughs) we're not blocking anybody
1: he there was no contact made on that
2: play you then get the interception on the tip ball to bunting. Your offensive line's beat up the middle by on a blitz by Minter. It, Minter's the middle linebacker here on this interception to bunting. Usually the offensive line is responsible in a six-man protection, five offensive line and a back for the mic linebacker. You hear the quarterback always saying 51's the mic. Right. Well, that means the offensive line is almost always responsible for the mic linebacker. It's either Sheriff or Ruye too slow to pick up this twist inside. McKissick tries to come in and help out a little bit. I, my God, he's soft when it comes to picking up the blitz. He maybe got it on that last third down. But this has got to get picked up. Yeah. The interception. Two drives, nothing. Nothing. Now it's 9 nothing. Now it's 9 nothing, And we we're talking about starting fast against a team that you can't get down 9 nothing on, Kev. Nope. Because they're going to keep scoring. The third drive is, I I think, just an unbelievable drive by Heineke. He does a great job on this drive. First first and 10, they go run action, first play of the game. He's forced to scramble right, and misses again on a middle A-gap blitz by Minter. But Heineke does a great job rolling right, hitting Logan Thomas almost on schedule on the corner route. And it's a good finish by Thomas up the sideline.
1: It's a great finish. That's where he is that the one where he basically, you know, c- c- stops and comes back and then makes a run. Yeah, here it is. Uh, that's a good after catch run by Logan Thomas, right?
2: Oh, it's a great run after the catch but it's it's great job by Heineke sensing the pressure immediately getting away from the pressure rolling right and making a throw down the field this is why Heineke played and this is what Alex can't do at that point right Alex has got to dump it bury it to the back something because this pressure is too quick to sit there and even throw it off your fifth step or in gun off your third Come back at the forty-nine yard line. Excellent job anticipating the throw to Terry McLaurin on a deep in. There's a high-low read with Logan Thomas coming across the middle of the field. This is Kev. This is funny. This play is what everyone called in the West Coast Bingo Cross. Why Bingo? I don't because it's a basic cross. They called it Bingo, but you have a high-low read with a crosser and a deep dig. They ran this play. 20 times in this game i said yesterday it was a full complement of the game plan yeah they ran bingo cross or what al saunders would have called 694 h cross <laughs> about 20 times It went bingo cross all day long and tampa Never answered it. Heineke did a great job all day as he did on this play, sensing the underneath defender and throwing over the top as he started to hug up. It's a great concept for what Washington had been doing over the past season because they kept throwing the shallow or they kept throwing the spot to the back or the swing and that underneath defense has to hug up. They hit a bunch of these digs behind Tampa as they did on this play. Right. First and 10. Let's get back to running the ball. Coach, we got to run the ball. We got some great run action stuff drawn up today. Sprinkle has a WTF decision to go outside Jason Pierre Paul. This is a zone read play. Both Sprinkle and Logan Thomas release outside. Sprinkle's got to go inside to get the linebacker. There's no chance. If it's handed off, he can't get bent, he can't get into Minter. Either. It's coached to both go outside to try to lure that defensive end outside so you force the handoff. But if you Sprinkle goes outside, head up defensive end, he can't get all the way back to the middle linebacker. Should the quarterback have kept it? I thought about it. He missed one later. I, I, I thought about it. I'm not sure. I, I think Pierre Paul might hawk him down. Second and eight. <sighs> next play. This is... A great job by Heineke, either a great job or lucky. But mentor comes off the right side unblocked. (laughs) <laughs> now he could have slid his line pre-snap. The, the mentor showed that he was going to come off the right side and he had his line sliding away from that. So he knows he's unblocked. He doesn't have a back in there to pick up the linebacker. And he just knows the rules of dodgeball. You got a duck. And Minter comes. jumps way past him and off he goes for 13 yards down the field. It's either throw hot red seven or duck dodgeball rules, or make it real easy and say, Hey, Ricky, 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 and slide your line out that way. <laughs>
1: This is the kind of of play, though, that has to excite you about this guy. I mean, this is because he takes... Excite
2: and scare.
1: Yeah, but this is the kind of play that he he takes a bad play and he turns it into a big play.
2: I know, but this is also the kind of play that when you start watching on film, if you get some unblocked pressures, you go, he's going to sit down, duck, and move up. So they're going to start changing their location as to that rusher. Right. (laughs) Get a first down. All right, first and 10 again. Coach, let's run the ball. <laughs> try to run a trap play at a gun. They try to trap Indama which means Morgan Moses and Sheriff are going to fake block it. Indama They're going to pull Schweitzer from the backside and kick out and go straight downhill inside of him. <laughs> It sue's up to field. He almost tackles the back Gibson as he gets the ball. I think Gibson's too slow with his track and immediately getting downhill. The exchange takes a long time. Schweitzer is too slow on the pole and we end up getting a two yard gain. Okay, well, two yards actually, you okay run play today. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, second and, eight and again. Tampa's we we're gonna go with an empty set, five man protection. Tampa ends up bringing five. Looks like they're gonna bring six here. Heineke panic flushes. It's a great throwaway to avoid a sack here.
1: This was the one that I thought initially could have been uh, grounding, but uh, but McLaurin's in the general area. But he's, he's in the general area, and he but he's in the pocket, isn't he? I think he will. Um,
2: he's out of the pocket. Not much. He could have stayed in the pocket, though. It was picked up. He yeah. had have picked up. It's okay. He avoids a bad play. Third and eight. Third and eight in the red zone. We, we need Baller it. throw. Speed out. To, all out pressure by Tampa. Bull said, Bull. oh, we got him flustered. He's ducking and diving and dodging, and we'll just bring more than they can handle. And he makes a hell of a throw to Sims Jr. on the sideline with a big-time toe drag, and they convert. Yeah, that was a really
1: good play by Sims Jr. I've I've really been critical of him on the punt return stuff and on the blocking stuff, but that's a really good catch on a huge third and eight because you know what? A field goal at nine nothing at this point, you, you got to get it in the end zone, and that's a huge
2: play, huge play, huge play. First down in the red zone, first and nine. They call all out and ups. It's all soft coverage by Tampa. For all out and ups from the nine yard line your outside out and ups don't have time to work those things no one's really buying an out from the nine there are better answers from this but in the check downs cover he does a really good job scram seeing it right now scrambling getting to the six yard line three yard game <laughs> like there's nothing else he can do here right. scrambles it or throw out of the back of the end zone gets three yards they end up running it twice Good push-ins out on both by Sheriff. The touchdown runs a good kick-out or a good cutback block by Logan Thomas, and they seal the edge there, and you score. And right now I'm going, if I'm coaching, this kid Heineke can survive. Heineke can make some throws. He can survive. I'm buying into Heineke at this point. It's not all perfect, but God, when it's not, he's made things work. Can I also just mention that they've been
1: really effective in the third and two, third and goal from the two um, with those shotgun runs this year uh, succeeding. I mean, whether it's been Barber or McKissick or Gibson, how many times have we seen a running back in the end zone on a third and goal from the two on a run? Fifteen.
2: Seems like a lot, doesn't 10? it? I mean, it's it seems like a lot. You're right there in the game. Yeah, you are. You get the ball back the next series. Tampa's scored again. Yep, six, and it's 15-7 now. 15-7 because they don't get the two-point, and you're like, okay, let's go get an answer here because you got to keep it close with this team. I, I think you make a really good throw on an out route to Sims, to Cam Sims, sweet. this You get to second and five. You're now sitting there at second down and five. You go with a run-action pass, and he is loving Cam Sims. The second and five, he's got Terry McLaurin on a deep sit, probably an option to take it over the top if he wanted to. And he misses an easy open receiver in Terry McLaurin right there. Actually makes a pretty good throw to Sims. Right. he's trying to fall down and, and make a catch. Throws it where only Sims can get it. I don't hate the throw. He would have had Terry McLaurin on an easy first down. Yep. That said, third and five. Slant to Cam Sims complete. Here we go. I'm believing in Heineke, man. Timing, slant, contested, he good He threw throw. This one off his back foot, backing up. He, he can throw with different arm angles. He can throw on the move. Yeah. He's making some plays. Finally get a run Right on the next first and 10. You get that bounce play. The only big run, I think, in the game is a bounce play outside by gibson 11 yard gain they get to that little reverse play with steven sims jr and he cannot make the safety miss god that's a kev that's a that reverse play that's a great situation to dial that thing up but jordan whitehead the safety makes one hell of a play shot out of a cannon yeah it makes a good open field tackle on sims
1: yeah. yeah this was speed to the ball Whew. But still a four-yard game. He comes from In, uh, he comes from thir- nearly thirty to twenty-five yards away to to turn to to stop that from being a big play.
2: No, he does a great job with it. I like that mix-up. I do. It, it validates your motion behind the quarterback. It validates some of the things you're doing with some of your pre-snap stuff. It keeps them honest. Yeah. You convert a hitch to Terry McLaurin on the second down and six. You're moving the chains. First down again. Good throw. Good timing. Heineke hits his back foot and lets it go, man. lets it rip. And he can throw it. He's got some pace on it. First and 10, you dial one up. Just a dime to Isaiah Wright on a corner out down the sideline. Yeah. Dime. Perfect spot for the ball. Hits Isaiah Wright in the hands. It's a drop. Yep. God, that would have been a big play right there would have been a big play they come back and run it on second and 10 they get two yards and, and you get to a third and eight on a drive where it i think it was just so important that they get points out of this drive watching it again you know 15 seven they got a chance and you know it's that third and eight's to play that it was a potential dpi on cam sims yeah the ball's late on the slant to sims this is which D- is why it's not is, complete
1: this is dpi
2: it's bang, bang. You can call it either way. I don't hate that they didn't call it, to be quite honest with you, because the ball's late in timing. If you watched his third and eight, if he just – Logan Thomas chips on the edge and then releases in the flat, no one's in the flat. He should have just hit Thomas in the flat. It's first down. And if it isn't, it's field goal. And if it isn't, it's a field goal. He's late on the slant throw. If you're going to throw the slant, you got to throw it now. Right. He's late on it, and you end up punting on that drive. Yeah. Brutal. All right, let's score. We got it. We got the ball back again. The next series, we go three and out. It's 18 seven. Yeah, it's 18 seven now. And you're just sitting here going, Is Tampa going to score every time they touch the football? Yeah, you know, it's tough. So you get the ball back your next series, you take a sack on first and 10. Both edges are beat. Uh, Shaq Barrett's a great bull rush. Gets inside Morgan Moses. Get inside Lucas or Bull Mo- Lucas. There's not much for answers. You just got to be careful with ball security. I thought this was a fumble. We didn't define recovery. I do think Tampa got it. They did get it. I just don't know if it was clear enough. Yeah.
1: that, that by, by the way, this play, you know, again, for all the people that are saying that they lost the game because of the officials and they didn't call holding and they didn't call this – Look, Chris Godwin dropped five balls, and this probably should have been a fumble, a recovery potentially, and it's 25-7 at halftime. So, you know, you got to
2: break here. You did. Was this the uh, the next one? Is Sims Junior dropping? So the next one's a drop by Sims Junior, and so now we've had for Heineke as far as incompletions, we've had a drop by Cam Sims, we've had a contested ball thrown on a slant to Cam Sims that wasn't complete, we've had a drop by Isaiah Wright, we now have a drop by Steven Sims Junior, and we do have a bounce pass by Heineke surviving a bad play. So five incompletions are really not on Heineke at this point. Right,
1: he was in the first half. He was 10 of 18 for 130 yards, one
2: interception. Right. And we're not through the first half. I know. But right. That's five. At this point, he was whatever. He should have been almost perfect. Right. Well, we're sort of at the end of the first half. So now at third and 16, you throw to Sims Jr. on a deep spacing route at 12 yards. He's tackled You punt. It's fine. Right before the half, the drive right before the half, you get a chance. This is a stupid drive, in my opinion. Really. We talked about it yesterday. We talked about it. You throw a check down to McKissick. You should have called timeout. The ball ends up getting snapped on a second down or on the second play with 13 seconds left. I know. It's just. It's snapped with 13 seconds left, and it's a good scramble and you're to the 28 yard line and you should have had 18 seconds left out of bounds at that point at the 28. And then maybe, maybe you can, you can get something down. The thing is, is like, what's Tampa going to do? Like let's say your first play doesn't work. You don't operate. You just run it two more plays. Kemp had, what, one timeout at that point? No, they or had none. none.
1: They, they had none. You take – No, so if you're you are not run gonna, it at that point. You make up your mind. Do we want to score or do we want to get to halftime? The, the idea was clearly because they didn't use timeouts, they wanted to get to halftime. So don't run a play because it can only be bad. You either get a turnover or you get an injury. Take the knee and let's get to the locker room. And by the way, no problem with that with 30 seconds to go from your own 10-yard line. Okay, I have a problem with it if it's from your own 25-yard line with 30 seconds to go. Your own 10, okay, it's 18-7. to 7, You're not out of it. One bad Most play you're here. You're a comeback
2: is, type of team. It's an over. quarterback's playing great ball. Yeah, it's over if you make a bad play here. Over if you make a bad play, but if you make a decent play, give yourself a chance to make more yeah, good
1: plays. Call timeout. They got a little nice little play to McKissick to start it. You're out at the 17. Let's call timeout. There's call timeout. Yeah, 23, you know, 24 seconds left. All right, next one. Get the scramble. Now we got 18 seconds left, and we're you know we're out there. We're, we're we're we got the ball out near the 30 yard line. Now we got a chance with a big completion down the middle. A timeout and one more to get Hopkins on for
2: a 55 yarder. Why not? Why not? And the thing is, is the, the next play at the 17, let's say you hit McLaurin or Sims 22 yards down the field on a dig. You went into that play with 18 seconds. That's a seven second play. Now you're sitting right around midfield with 12 and a timeout left. The
1: point is if you're not the, intending to try to score, then don't run plays. Good point. Why risk it? The, you're, you've you already said by not calling timeouts after a couple of decent plays that you just want to get to halftime. So why run those plays? Because only something bad could happen unless somebody breaks a big play. Maybe you're hoping that McKissick off of that thing breaks a 50-yarder. But it's not likely. Okay, second half. I like what we're doing here. It's easier see, to follow along with. You can, you can follow along. We can get through we're
2: just, we're, some of the guys, some of the stuff. you are going to have to get a Heineke grade, though. You got one. I'll give you one. Okay. Second half. Second half. First play of the second half, they're going to go run action pass. Seriously? Are they going to believe that we're going to run the ball? They're so soft. (laughs) The linebackers don't even hesitate. They do not even step up. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, okay, let's just throw it away down the sideline at the back. Uh, Thought we might fool them there. We've been running every once in a while on first and ten. No. Second 10, you end up throwing a stick to Terry McLaurin. It's good time. He doesn't hesitate after the catch. Terry's still short on his stick routes, but you convert. Next first and 10, you get a defensive offsides. Um, Probably could have gotten the ball down the field on that play on a free play. Did he know it was a free play? Uh, I'd have to watch it again. I don't know if he knew it was a first play, free play, but whatever. Um, so now we're in a first-and-five situation. We go run-action pass again. No,
1: he didn't know because they were lined up in the neutral. They were lined so up offside. Yeah.
2: He didn't catch the flag flying in the corner of his eye. Right. That said, you'll run-action pass. You get Logan Thomas on a wheel route down the sideline. This is a great ball. I really think this throw on first-and-five to, to Logan Thomas is a hole-shot type of throw. You know, coverage fell off on the deep route behind him. If he'd have thrown this vertical down the field, it would have been contested. He makes this whole shot throw. It's good pass protection. It's a 29 yard gain to Logan Thomas. Big play. Big play.
1: This guy knows, knows how to play football, doesn't he?
2: He knows he, what's going on out there. He knows how to play football. So now you're sitting at the 24 yard line. Um, another run action pass. We go run action every play of this drive. He's got nothing. He's got nothing. He's decisive. He steps up, slides up in the A gap three-yard run, three-yard scramble. Good slide, too. Good slide. Really nice slide. Robert Griffin could learn a lot from him. <laughs> second and seven, they go quick count, which I like. They probably could have went with some more cadence stuff in this game. They did um, they did some quick stuff, right? They did some quick stuff, Hurry but they yeah. get a good push. It's only three. It felt like more than three, but it was only three. Third and four, this is his first bad ball of the game. Yep. The opening drive of the second half, he is Logan Thomas. The thing is, pull up this third and four situation. Yeah, I got it. This was the one They're that- running that bingo cross play. And on the back side of it, they run a seam route inside and a comeback on the outside. Steven Sims jr. Is going to clear. If he bangs it on Sims, it's a touchdown. Um, I'm not saying he missed because Logan Thomas is open for the first down. And I like taking cash when I can get it, but this is taking three bucks instead of 50 well, it's
1: not three in the red zone. You'll take the first down. I know. Yeah. It, okay. It's he, like he, taking he 10 bucks and He could have been on Sims for the touchdown, but he also just, that was a bad throw. There, there weren't many, but that was a first down th- wide open, and he just overthrew him. And he's very lucky that the interception was dropped because it was dropped by Whitehead. It was right in his hands on the overthrow.
2: No, there's no doubt. Field goal, 18 to 10. Field goal, 18-10. to 10. Look, we got some points.
1: Yeah, we finally got a stop on defense, so we get the ball back down 18-10. This is where the game became really interesting.
2: Yeah. You're sitting there 10 minutes, 53 seconds in the third quarter. First and 10, you go zone read again. I'll let you get to it because I know it takes a second to to get to that next series. I'm watching it. This, is, this one should have been pulled.
1: Oh, yeah. The yeah, DN's crashing down and he knows, it, crashing he knows he's it. yeah he, he knew it yeah he knew it that's a big run
2: no nope. it would have been it would have been the one that he should have pulled there oh
1: god that is a big run because he's got thomas out there on the only defender i know oh uh, that's too bad well whatever this drive ended well so continue this drive didn't end well oh that's right that's right they was the next time they got it back yeah
2: so the second and seven, the ball, the ball's battered at the line of scrimmage. He does a great job just knocking it down. Yeah, smart like, play. I love some of these. Like, he made a lot of smart plays that go under the radar. He's a football player. He, he really is a football player. Go back to the New Hampshire game. <laughs> For 700 yards <laughs> in the New Hampshire game. I mean, if he's a real football player, he would have pulled the zone read, though. My God. Yeah. He would have had a good play. It would have been seven at a minimum on the zone read. Um, third and seven. He ends up turning down a quarter out to Sims. He scrambles, does a good job for the first down. There's a stunt inside that Sheriff doesn't pick up. He's late coming off on the stunt. They call holding. I think it is holding. Oh, you did? Okay. You get, a, you get away with a lot of these. It sucks that you don't get away with it, but they call holding here. Third and 17, he throws a check down to Logan Thomas. Maybe can get Sims on a deep sit route at 14 or 15. I don't think he's going to get the first down in that situation. It would make it interesting if you'd have thrown that on a go for it type of play, though. I don't see where you see this as holding on, Sheriff. Yeah, it's tough. What... I mean, he gets beat inside. They... Watch it. I'm going to sit in, in a game it. in which they really he let grabs him... his but now he holds. It's holding. He grabs his back. He pulls him from the backside just, to, just a little bit. Okay. No, because Sue goes outside. Morgan Moses does a poor job passing off the stunt with Shaq Barrett. And then Barrett gets upfield on Sheriff. Sheriff's left hand goes around the back, his left arm's covering the numbers of Shaq Barrett. But the thing is, is Ruye bumps it off. Right. Let me, Let me ask just you.
1: They see that armor around the back of Barrett. Would you have thought... Um, at this point I wouldn't have Let me just say that It's 18 to 10 You know It's It's uh, It's at midfield though You know In the third quarter And you've got some momentum You actually got to stop For the first time In a while On the last drive um, Would you have thought About fourth and five With this playmaking quarterback Yes Yeah I don't think I would have I think they did the right thing By punting it um, This was the punt That Apke took Into the end zone And ended up being ruled in, I think incorrectly um, but, um, I wonder, you know, in a playoff game that you don't think you have, uh, that you really got to go for it. This would have been a decent, you know, th- thought process to go for it on a fourth and
2: five. All right. So, they, so they, but they, if you watch this third and 17, one more time, yeah, Sims is in the middle of the field, right in saw, the NFL logo. He's yeah. where he sits down. He's actually four yards short of the first down. Yeah, so it's still going to be a four. Like he's going to get if he throws it to Sims, he's going to get tackled on the spot. Yeah, he so is. it's still going to be fourth and four. Yeah. All right, so you end up punting. Yep. And then the next drive is
1: where Daron Payne saves saves the day with the forced fumble with New England on the
2: drive. Um, yeah, and you're you know, still in this game, eighteen ten.
1: Yeah, eighteen yeah, ten still.
2: Five fifty three in the third quarter. Got to have it type of drive. Yep. First and ten, great ball at Cam Sims on an out route. Reads it out. Really good ball the Sims. First and 10, what are you going to do, coach? I'm going to get back to running the football.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Why even waste the time? I want, The only point, runner at this, this point should have been Heineke.
2: This point in the game, I'm like, he can't run it. Yeah. Morgan Moses misses what you call a pirate stunt by defensive end, a defensive end. But... Um, Pierre Paul is on a hard inside stunt. Morgan probably should have saw it because you had edge pressure outside of that. The blitzer walking up. And when the blitzer's walking up, that normally means that end's going down hard. Morgan misses it. We got a no gain. <laughs> but well, you know what? Tendency break. First and ten, we ran it. Let's get back to the run action stuff. Yeah. Second ten, four verts. What a scramble by Heineke. Yeah. I, had I mean, a, I had an argument unbelievable.
1: With, I had an argument with a caller on this play today. He's convinced that Winfield should have been flagged. I don't think so at all at the end. On the second 10 play? Yeah, on the scramble. I mean, Winfield doesn't even really touch him that much. And, it, and it's, you know, he goes into the slide at the end of the play I'm talking about. On on the, on the big scramble, that's where we are, right? The, 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 the second 11 scramble.
2: All right, let's see it. Second 11. I mean, what a good job by Heineke, though. If you watch him in the pocket, he never takes his eyes off the field. He has great pocket sense Mm -hmm. and great pocket presence. And to be honest with you, Kevin, I don't need to watch a whole season of this kid. I watch this play. That's not a penalty on Winfield. No. (laughs) Come on. No. 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 No chances that Winfield fell on him. I mean, there's
1: barely even any contact. By the way, he's a good player, Winfield. They have some
2: good players on defense. They are a really good defense. I love the story of Winfield. And they're talking about in the game broadcast, training camp. They're like, who's this voice behind us chirping the entire time? (laughs) His dad. Winfield. No, it's Winfield. Oh, it was Winfield. Okay. Winfield comes in, and the linebacker's are like, who is this guy? It's not a coach. What is, who is this voice? It's the rookie safety, or the rookie corner. Yeah. Um, so he gets a scramble down to the 20, what, 29, 30-yard uh, yeah. line? Yeah. What do you want to do on first and 10? Run it. <laughs> By the way, this is not a horse collar. Not a horse collar. He bounces it outside. The tight ends on the backside, it's just... Uh, th- this first and ten run, the tight ends on the backside of this. What what the fuck are we doing? Like what is the game plan here? Shaq Bear is splitting both the tight ends on the backside there in a wing set. Sprinkle goes inside to the safety. 33. Logan Thomas goes outside Barrett, and they turn Barrett completely free. Maybe this is a zone read. I, I'm i not sure. Maybe it's a it's a zone read. If it is, it's a definite pull opportunity. Oh, well, defi- but I don't think it is because why, why if it was
1: – Why don't you think so?
2: I mean, maybe. But well, who's – here's the thing. Who's responsible – so there's a, a safety outside of the two tight ends and then 33 is down in the box or a corner outside of them. Right. Are you going to turn the corner free – no, oh. you would have arced Logan Thomas out to the corner. And so you wouldn't leave an unblocked player. This is a dead handoff. Unless Logan Thomas botched it and didn't arc no, out I to see, the No, I see what you're saying. No, they, they, this is just a botch. One of them has to block Barrett. One of them has got to get to the safety. One of them has to block Barrett. That said, Gibson sees it and he bounces it outside, which he's done a great job of all year. I mean, at this point in the game, Gibson's like, I'm not going in there. There's nothing in there for me. Did you
1: think Gibson looked hurt? I did. Um... I didn't think he looked a hundred percent. Yeah, that that's uh, that's I didn't think that that was my what my feeling was. He didn't look like the Gibson we've seen. That was not a horse collar. The the by rule, you've got to have that hand inside that back of the jersey. If you have it on the outside of the jersey or the pad, that's not a horse collar. They gotta break there, no. big break. Because if not it's second and nine on a condensed field, um instead we're we're at the fourteen yard line or whatever, first and ten. That's
2: great. We got a break. So now you're at the 13 yard line, first and ten. Turner's like, I think we should run it again. It's everyone on the sidelines like no. <laughs> no. No more running. You throw a little shallow cross to Sims and he has that funny try-to-jump dude's play. Yeah. Like, no. Nope. That was a mm, bad idea. Still a six-yard gain. And so the second and four, and Turner's like, now I'm gonna run it. I gotta I gotta stay with this run game. They try to go with a little pump draw. Yeah, I didn't. Sheriff I, gets beat inside. It's a one yard loss. There's a spin move inside on the pump draw. Sheriff gets beat on it. Yeah, boy. There's just one, just, one yard loss. There's a lot of negative runs in this game.
1: A lot of negative runs. That
2: there were a lot of it, there were a lot of individual losses on the run. They're stout. They are. And Damacon Sue's a pretty good player. I don't. Uh, it's funny you almost forget how unbelievably dominant he was. Yeah. Right. But he smoked sheriff here and then third and five you get another amazing scramble play this is the touchdown this is by Haneke. this is where he hurt his shoulder the
1: dodge ball is this where he's dodge make, is duck, this where he's gonna make so you make money on this drive on this play
2: kev this is absolutely where you pay a quarterback or it's absolutely where you think about keeping a quarterback for next year he's got nobody open down the field. Tampa's playing tight man-to-man coverage. He's in a torture chamber back there around the 20-yard line, and he's dipping and dodging and all the while, Kev, he's trying to find a receiver, slipping out of things. I mean, it's just he has to have great depth perception and great peripheral vision, and then he's got the wheels to take it and then the guts to dive and – it wasn't Mitchell Trubisky right there. No, he wasn't. No nope. touchdown. We're in this ball game. He got hurt. We're in this ball game, and you're sitting here going, "We're in this ball game," and our quarterback is on fire. Yeah. Um. By the they way, go I... for a two-point play, which I think is ridiculous. I think it's a crap call. It's that Miami Dolphins play from last year, where they lost the game to Washington on the two-point play. Was it a check with me?
1: I, th- I think that he checked that.
2: Sometimes it's hard to see on the film if it's a check with me. He checked his protection inside that you can see, but no, it's a... That's the play? It could be. They could have had a check with me on it. I think McKissick was the... Uh,
1: I think they were going to run McKissick and the box was loaded.
2: It's not a, it's not a RPO.
1: I didn't, I'm, so not saying, I'm not saying I'm yeah. not saying an RPU. I think the box is loaded, and I think the play. The, I think the first play is is McKissick on, the, you know, what they've done on sort of these zone runs from gun at the two yard line that they've been successful on. And the box is loaded, and the blitz is coming too. I just I'm watching it right now. I think he switched the play. I, I could be wrong. They missed it. And here's the one thing on this play.
2: I don't. If I'm going to run this play. I want to keep my two – so they have three receivers to the right. Logan Thomas comes down in motion from the far outside. I want Logan Thomas catching this ball closer to the numbers. And also, if I widen that formation, then I'm going to definitively know what they're doing. I'm going to make them tell me if they load the box or not. The other thing, it's – Heineke's late on this. Like, Logan's got to catch and run through this ball. And it's not like he – he's not late because he did anything wrong he caught it through it it's just logan gets so tight and logan stops to catch it you have to run through this ball it wasn't a well orchestrated play let's put it that way
1: all right um let's get to the remainder of this which takes us into the fourth quarter and then we'll get a grade from heineke right after this word from one of our sponsors
2: In the fourth quarter, 21 16. Critical drive. First play of the game, RPL. Should have been an illegal lineman downfield. He does a good job throwing a bounce pass. Yeah. Heineke does. Yeah. He also does a good job breathing this out. I think he could have banged the slant to Sims Jr. on the inside. Oh, yeah. The corner over the top of Sims Jr. on the inside. They have two receivers to the left. The corner inside, Bells outside. Towards the hitch, he could have either thrown the hitch outside, which he probably would have gotten. He could have banged the sh- tight window slant to Sims Jr. But this is an illegal lineman downfield that they didn't call. Yeah, Morgan Moses. <laughs> Morgan Moses, five yards downfield when this ball's out, they got away with one there. More than five. More than five. Second and ten, they go with the spacing concept. Then they swing the back out. Four receivers hooking up at five yards. They swing the back out. He's late to get the ball to the swing. All the receivers are covered. This is the Alex Smith play. Alex, right now, boom! I know swing. You end up getting a one-yard gain. Third nine, Morgan Moses beat on a stunt by Pierre Paul. This is a risky throw. You know, Logan Thomas is actually open on this third nine route.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He's running the corner route. He is open. There's just no time to throw it in timing. Morgan's beat too quick. He knew he was open, and he still tried to make the throw. Punt. Critical three and out in that situation. Yep. Yeah, that was Critical. that was the
1: drive and not only that you're punning and they're going to get decent field position which they got and um that the then the next the, unfortunately this is where you know
2: just couldn't stop them the rest of the way. Yeah. So you give up a touchdown. Now it's 28-18 with 9:11 left in the fourth quarter. You got yeah, to have it. This got to have it. 28-16. Yeah, 28-16, excuse me. You got to have it. Good job on a check down to Sprinkle on the first play. Uh, Zone run play on the second and two. Maybe a cut back, but he bounces outside. He gets a first down. Great. First and 10 at the 37. Baller, Baller throw to Cam Sims in the seam. It's a four vert situation. Sprinkles alone to the left. You got three receivers to the right on the insides Logan Thomas. I actually on this first and 10 at the 37, think that he can throw over the top to Logan Thomas for a bigger play. The question is, does the backside corner, the corner to his left fall off into this? My answer is I don't think he does. That said, he does do a good enough job holding the safety with his eyes to bang the seam on Cam Sims, and we get a 23-yard throw. We're moving the ball. We're down to the 40-yard line. He's he's just he's good, (laughs) as you would say. I I mean, look, you could watch that Verts on the first and ten at the 37 and say maybe he could get Logan Thomas, and I think he could. But it's hard to take a 23-yard completion and say do better, (laughs) right? (laughs) Fine with it. First and ten at the forty. Throws a flat to Logan Thomas. Logan Thomas gets yard selled four yards downfield on the sideline. No one gets yard selled more than Logan Thomas. He, he, How many he times does he he gets yard selled more than my grandmother in Powell, Wyoming? You were really tough on him. You I mean, no, this is not a this is not a critical thing. He think of all the times he's on the sideline and taking a big weird awkward hit
1: i know uh, but you just, this is not
2: in general i mean I, it's okay well this is not a tough thing he makes a good play for four yards it's not like he's getting six <laughs> he just awkwardly goes down a lot on the sideline yeah, well, he slid for a while too yeah, well it's full-on yard zone. yeah <laughs> second six he had a flat to gibson Yep. Right now. I like it. Third and three at the 33. Logan Thomas is over the ball. They're running that bingo cross that crosser short one. Same throws he missed in the third quarter. Hits it first down. We're moving the chains. Kev, removing moving the chains. First and 10 at the 28. He hits a check down. It's a good choice. It's good pocket movement to throw that ball. He has good pocket movement. He's got good feel, man. He's got good feel. I love that about him. Second nine at the 27 baller throw again, deep crossing route with an underneath shallow. Deep throw to Terry McLaurin, baller throw. The dude, he subtly moves on the second nine at the twenty-seven. Subtly slides in the pocket to throw this thing. He knows how to find windows to throw the ball. I'm going nuts over Heineke right now. I, I can tell. I mean, I just he is. He's playing great ball in this game. So now you're down to a, the eleven yard line. He sells one over the top of Logan Thomas's head on a deep out route. It's a good throw away. The corner fell off this thing. And it's going to be a pick if he throws it to Logan. He sensed it. He threw it over his head. The second 10 at 11 is a bad throw. Bad idea. They run two deep ends right at the goal line with the wheel outside of it. The backer sitting on it. This probably should be picked. Is this the David uh, Levante-David play? The Levante-David play. Yeah. Now, again, he's trying to make plays down the field. Yeah. And I – trust me, I totally get this. But – Sense the coverage pre-snap, you look at this pre-snap on the second and 10, and Tampa has that umbrella four deep across the board. So you can see that it's going to be quarters coverage. To his right, Terry McLaurin's in the slot, which means he's matched up underneath the linebacker. Terry McLaurin's running a quicker out route. He throws it to Terry. He might score. He's definitely getting yards. you got to match up one-on-one with Terry and the linebacker. That's the throw. He Third. Forces it inside. Got away with one right there. Third and 10. Third and ten. Did anybody doubt that he's gonna make a dynamic throw on the corner to Sims Jr.? <laughs> great route, great throw, great catch, pressure in his face from off of Cornelius Lucas. Touchdown. What a all hell Taylor Heineke. We're back a, in the game. What a great again. throw. What a great throw. We're back in the game because of one dude. Uh huh. What a throw. Twenty eight twenty three. We hold him to
1: a field goal, and here it is. 2.49 left, final drive, and then we'll get to a grade on Heineke. Uh, Let's talk about this final drive.
2: Final drive, first throw, slide, great slide in the pocket, throw the deep end to Terry McLaurin, 16-yard gain. Ball's a little behind him, but Heineke's moving away from the throw. He's moving, sliding left, throwing back across his body right to McLaurin, and you get a completion. Love it. Makes another good throw to Cam Sims on a comeback. Really good job by Sims um, attacking the ball on that comeback. And we got the ball at
1: midfield, Kev. And by the way, without having to use a timeout, without being at the two-minute warning because of back-to-back defensive holding calls, which stopped the clock.
2: It's awesome. Yeah. First and 10, midfield. Bad ball on a deep end by Cam Sims. Threw it behind him. Right. Miss a couple. Right. It's bad ball to Sims. Uh, second and 10 you got plenty of time left with 227 in this game plenty of time things are good keep in mind you haven't thrown one screen all day (laughs) like yeah all the bubbles that we saw all year right all the little bubbles all the little things you end up throwing a flat to mckissick come on mckissick jd gd jd this is a catch and a fumble
1: this is a catch and a fumble though he Should had have been p- a catch and a fumble, but just catch
2: the ball. He bobbled it.
1: I know, but it's a big difference between third and five and third and ten. I didn't. I, they didn't have a timeout to challenge it, so you know um, that been, we were pre two minute warning at that point. But I do not think that this is an incomplete pass. That is a catch and a fumble, and you see the referee, you know, throw the marker down to indicate the fumble, and then they changed it and they they called incomplete pass, and now it's third and ten instead of third and five. No. Brutal. I still thought they were going to make it
2: third and 10. You want to talk about his chance to make money. I know this is it. I want you to watch this. Anybody watching it. If you don't have it, pull it up on the regular game. If you can see it, they're running what they, they were running bread and butter bingo cross. They ran it a lot. Sims on the 14 yard dig. Steven Sims on the shallow cross. You got pressure. If you pause this before he starts to move right in the pocket, if he lets this go in timing, he's got Sims, Cam Sims, on the deep end behind the linebacker. If he throws it on the opposite hash, if you pause it again, Steven Sims Jr. is going to continue running on his crossing route, which he's running back downhill like a dolt instead of continuing straight across the field. But he's probably going to get eight yards. No. First. Mm, the backside corner is going to tackle him
1: if well, I don't first, know where first of all he's got to catch it but assuming he catches it, <laughs> assuming he catches it I think he gets the first down on this schoolie by the way I think that should have been the throw right away
2: it could have I think if he lets it go now maybe he gets strip sacked but if he lets it go to cam sims uh in a perfect world he's open there's a window Either way, third possibility here, just run. Well, he's sort of tried to do that. No. As he s- hits his fifth step, he slides right. And after his first slide right, look at, the r- look at the window between Morgan Moses and Brandon Sheriff. Yeah, I see that. And then he continues to flush right. Yeah. God. He's going to run for the first down.
1: So do you think he really th- – this is the play that uh, – obviously this is a money play. It's third and 10. You're down 31-23. You know, you got uh 22 left. And you got to convert. You got to move the chains. And he missed a couple of
2: throws here. He missed a couple of throws and he missed an opportunity to run. And I'm not saying that you're going to say he can't. You're not, you're not going to pay him because of this play or you're not going to keep him. But you want to continue to build this resume. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah yeah and then the po- throw logan thomas i i i don't i like the idea you know they're way soft you mm-hmm. gave your your guy a chance in a jump ball situation i think it could have come out a little bit earlier but he's he's flying all over the field so that leads me to this are you gonna give the green? Hold, hold, an... hold on hold on hold on hold on heineke could... was it a... heineke
1: hold on i gotta do I got one more read right before you get the Heineke grade. All right. This is what's allowing us to do this podcast, Cooley. I got to get this in. I got to get this in, and then you'll give us the grade on Heineke. It's that time of year. All right? We've got NFL playoffs. We had the championship game last night. You've waited. You've watched. Now you want to get involved. You've heard the name on this podcast and other places. My Bookie. They're the industry's leading online sports book and casino. It's not hard to understand why. With thousands of lines to bet on on all your favorite sports. The NFL, the NBA, college sports, college basketball. God, really good game tonight. Wisconsin-Michigan. If I were doing smell test picks in college hoops, Cooley, I'd give you Wisconsin plus four and a half tonight against a team that is great in Michigan. Uh, that line is short. Um, my bookie has got all the latest uh, odds, period. Take advantage of my bookie's prop builder and live in-game betting where every single run, throw, and touchdown is another chance for you to put cash in your pocket. Visit their mobile-friendly website today and get your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. Just use the promo code. Kevin DC, K-E-V-I-N-D-C, when you make your first deposit. The best part is they make it simple with a variety of ways to deposit instantly, including credit card, bank transfer, Bitcoin, and more. Whether you're at home or on the go, on your laptop or your phone, it's not too late to make your New Year's resolution a resolution to get paid. Bet, win, and get paid at MyBookie.
2: All right grade on Heineke and anybody else you want to grade. Taylor Heineke, the guy who, with J.P. Finley this week, said, when my trainer introduces me at the gym to new people as an NFL quarterback, they say, no, he's not. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> great. This guy is like 5'10 looking 170, Heineke said. Actually have to go prove myself to everybody out there. Taylor Heineke, the guy who lit up New Hampshire.
1: <laughs> <laughs> 700 pounds.
2: Was finishing his math degree, who nobody in the world thought would do half of what he did in this game, was an A against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a playoff game for Washington.
1: Somebody told me this morning that his height at six one is a major program height; that he is not even six feet and I believe that when he was standing look Brady is huge but when he was standing next to Brady at the end of that game he really looked short really to me Jeff Garcia as I that that was my comp never was one. he always looked like a 5 foot 9 5 foot 10 inch quarterback how tall do you think he is 5'10 I'm
2: just more concerned about how big his balls are yeah, well he's got big ones Jeez, he's probably five eleven, probably closer to six foot. Okay. It's, I'm sure he'd self-deprecated when he d- described himself as five ten, <laughs> right? So you, I bet he's <laughs> at least an inch more than that, if not closer to six foot. Just look at—did uh, he go to the combine? Um, the combine will have his real height.
1: Yeah, let me see. Taylor Heineke combine numbers. I mean, it's just, you, he, he may not he have did, gone to the combine
2: he did so many things right in this game and he made so many things work in this game and the gutsy throws and the gutsy plays i can't it was incredible what he did it really was i'm so proud of this kid impressed by this kid excited for him i hope he gets another shot to actually play it wasn't It wasn't as dynamic of a game plan as I thought, but to execute in three or four concepts over and over again, continue to push the ball down the field without any semblance of a run game, without really any balance of a screen game, manipulating pressure, manipulating the pocket accuracy on 95% of throws gosh dude and that's the other thing like when you really look at this especially for me i see a guy who is fearless in the pocket with great sense and awareness he can feel where he's got to move and slide without looking at it right and he knows when he's got to run he knows when he's going to go off his back foot i bet he's going to think about that third and 10 play for a long time Because he's going to watch it again and know there are three answers. And and look, that's one play in this game. It's not the end-all, be-all. But there were three answers in that third and ten play.
1: Um, I do have one question for you to finish up, unless you had other grades you were going to give. Do you? It's okay Um, if you
2: don't. For the most part, I thought Sheriff played really well. We talked about a couple plays, but I – You know, protection, other than some of the blitzes, was actually really good. I thought Sheriff was in that A range. I thought Lucas did a pretty good job holding up on the edge. Lucas was a B to me. Terry McLaurin was a B. Cam Sims had a couple drops, but some big plays in this game. I thought Cam Sims was a B in this game. Um, I thought inside, Ruye and Wes Schweitzer struggled quite a bit. Both those guys would have been in that C range. Logan made some big plays. Logan would have been a D or so in the run game was better in the pass game, probably at a minus in the past game. So he'd be right around that B type range. Uh, the backs did not play well. They did also, they also didn't have a lot of great holes or looks. Your guy, Dontrell Inman played one play. He was back on the team. <laughs> Gandy, you saw that Gandy was inactive. Um, right. Played 12 plays in this game, had a huge drop. Sprinkle didn't play well at all. Um. It was still – Turner – and I would say Turner was in that B range. Well, as much was, as we joked about question. having to go back to run the ball. He got his guy ready and confident to play a game. That was my question was on Turner. Um, and he knew how to do it against a team that was pretty good. Uh, the
1: pre-draft height, six feet. Um, it was from a pro day. It was not
2: from the Indy Then that's day. legit what it is. Yeah, six feet. You can cheat was... those pro days a little bit. You put some – quarters in your shoe <laughs> or you no? Know, they, they he, go barefoot he had
1: a 35 inch vertical leap that's interesting it's,
2: it's explosive 35 inches i wonder if he can dunk um what was your vertical leap do you remember I, I know at my pro day it was 36 something yeah but at the combine it was 33 and a half i had a bad combine I was fat um all right uh what else you got I got nothing left on the offense. All right, let's do defense. I'm sad, I'm sad that this is over because I want to see Taylor Heineke play again. I know. I know. <laughs> That's it. I'm sad it's over because I want to see Heineke play again. Uh, I want Chase Young to have a chance to redeem himself. I wonder if Chase Young would have been healthy enough to play this next week.
1: He He was in on one play on that final drive, and it was the big one to Evans. Um, where he obviously was not healthy, and then he came back out. Uh, All right, we'll do defensive film breakdown tomorrow. Everybody have a great day.